Welcome to episode 406 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Team. Welcome along to episode 406 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. How you going, mate? Sensational, Bevan, and you? Uh, yeah, I'm a bit of a world of hurt, to be honest. Oh, my heart's bleeding. Oh, man, I'm in so much pain. I did this uh, training module for a program called Grit, which is kind of Les Mills' kind of high intensity. I did that the other day. She got quite sore as well. Did she like it? No, not really. Oh, did she? No. That's all right. Can't, sorry, carry on. It's because she's soft. Yeah, I know. That's what I said. Because <laughs> it's just high end for 30 minutes, basically. Mm. You just beat yourself up. But... We end up doing bloody six hours of the thing over two days, so I've got muscles I didn't know. Self-inflicted. <laughs> it's all good, but because we're tough in the hood team, I am talking is proudly brought to you by coffeesofhawaii.com. Tell you what, I needed some of that to get me through the weekend. Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. And extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. Okay, guys, in this week's show, well, we kind of a big race happened last weekend, so we'll be talking a bit about, bit about that in the news. We had... An age group of the week. We've got a website of the week. We've got an interview, John. With Joel Filiol, who is one of the leading ITU coaches in the world. Helped out uh, the likes of uh, Simon Whitfield and was basically the lead coach for Canada and also Great Britain for a period of time. So we're going to get him and talk talk a bit ITU stuff. Oh, good times. And then we've got some questions and answers at the end. Then we'll do some nicknames as well. So... It's all good in the hood. Okay, Jombo, news. Well, we had one of the big championship races happening last weekend in Ironman Melbourne. Admittedly, because I was doing this course, it was really hard to keep an eye on it, but it looked like it was a really exciting race. If we can get more races like this, people are going to start tuning in and actually watching a bit more because that was outstanding on the run. You had multiple lead changes. It's just a shame that they're... um their video work in terms of actually capturing those changes, they may well get it on the actual highlights package. And well, I know because yeah. it was a point-to-point run, it was probably a bit harder than normal, but they missed a lot of the changes. But, man, it was it was awesome. So you had, uh, at one stage, you had Axel Zeebrook off the front, and he was leading for a reasonable you know, start-up period of the, of the run. Well, well, first of all, the swim time was ridiculous. Uh, so, like, well, just how many 10 guys came at 45? Yeah, I think that's uh, that, that, that's... About right there. Yeah, maybe a minute or yeah, so. But, but cool. those guys are all ex sort of ITU guys. You got Duke Bockel. He'd normally swim 45 to, to 46 sort of yep. minutes. And, and it was all, more just a 10, like to have that many mm, guys come out. Mm. Uh, and then you got Craig Alexander there, 47. Yeah, so maybe a minute or so quick, but not not too much. Um, and then you had a couple of pack, you had a large pack on the bike, uh, and then you had some sort of breakaway splinters off that. And you had Axel Zebrook and David Dello off the front, and those guys. Yeah, Axel Zebrook was leading early on the run, and then David Dello got in front on the run. He was looking pretty good at one stage to, to possibly take the win, and then Paul Matthews came storming through and, and took the lead on the run, and then Paul Matthews blew up, and David Dello repassed him, and he was in the lead, and. And then you had Dirk Bockel who was just running steady and he ran through and took the lead with probably probably about five Ks to go or so, maybe maybe seven, five to seven Ks to go. And he looked sensational, looked like he was running really strongly, but he wasn't and the other guys looked toasted, but he didn't actually uh, crush him. He only ended up finishing just over a minute in front. 
Yeah, do you uh, think he conserved once he knew he had it? Or? Well, he didn't look like it. He looked like he was storming and really, really? And holding really good form, good posture. Um, and the other guys had blown to pieces. Really? Uh, so Paul Matthews admirably came back after leading and then blowing up and then um, managed he to... stopped for a little bit in the report, they said. Mm. He, he may have stopped. I'm not, I didn't, they, again, they didn't pick, pick that part up, but he, uh, he certainly went from first to, to third pretty quickly. Uh, but he pulled himself together and uh, ended up second. And, and David Dallow was totally out on his feet. It was it was pretty entertaining because <laughs> <laughs> they had a. You did well to hold on to third then. Oh yeah, yeah. Especially with the guys were, were closing in pretty quick. They had an aerial shot of him, and you could see he was not running in a straight line down the footpath. And this was from several k's out. He was history. <laughs> Um, and so that was the fascinating thing, you know. Duke Bockel crossed the line, and Mike, you could see Mike Riley trying to uh, get him for an interview. But boom, then comes the next one, then comes the next one, then comes the next one, then comes the next one. So Craig, Craig Alexander was in fifth place in eight oh five, only you know four and a half minutes down on uh, on first place. So very very close racing. So in first place on the guys' side of things, you had Dirk Bockel, forty five swim, four twenty three on the bike, two forty eight run for an eight oh one oh. Two. Paul Matthews in second, a uh, minute back. David Dallow third, another less than a minute back. Michael Weiss was only 40 seconds um, back there in fourth. And then Craig Alexander was in fifth, having the fastest run split of the day with a 2.43.52. But he lost a couple of minutes in the swim. And then he lost. Uh, he lost more time on the bike road, 4.30. Michael Weiss, you know, he, he's someone, he lost... Seven minutes in the swim, wow. uh, outbiked everybody, and then ran a two forty-five. So, yeah, so he's, he's uh, not the most popular man around on the on the circuit for you know doping infringements. But you know he's back and he's won. What did he win? He won, was it Cos- no, wasn't was it Cozumel or was it? Uh, he won one of those late season races and he's backed up here with a fourth. So he will have uh, got himself enough points for Kona but you've got to think in Kona um, for him to have that big a deficit in a, in a wetsuit swim he's going to be even further behind yeah. and whilst he's in a machine he's uh, you know he's just going to be probably leaving himself a bit too much work to, to maybe get uh, the win but certainly probably an outside chance for a podium in Kona well yeah yeah, great um, we'll talk about Kona in a minute but Gil side of things Gil side of things well, it's kind of interesting because you had Mary Beth Ellis uh, it was always going to be the Mary Beth race, Ellis yeah. and Caroline Steffen show Mary Beth Ellis had a, a nice little buffer coming out of the swim Caroline Steffen rode up to her and then they uh, Mary Beth Ellis just sounded like just rode behind her the, the rest of the way came off the bike together and I'm thinking Mary Beth Ellis is going to take it uh, she's going to you know probably a little bit better runner than Caroline but she didn't have the, the greatest of runs and Caroline Steffen had a really strong run ran uh, I think it was a 304, 304 yep. pulling that up 44 yep. yeah for an 857.57 and uh, and took it quite comfortably so Mary Beth did uh, 308 still you know pretty solid performance 902 but she's been sub nine uh, I did they they were saying on the live coverage that they thought They'd heard reports that maybe she lost her nutrition on the bike, Mary Beth, and um, and you know sort of just faded a bit because of that. So anyway, important points for Mary Beth because she had a she DNF'd I think in Kona last year, so you know good swag of points for her, which she'll need. Otherwise, she'd end up having to do a gazillion races. But surely, um, if you get like a top five in this race. You only really have to turn up to another race, don't you? Yeah, you still got to do another race. Yeah, but whereas if you've got any points from Kona, you just finish this race and uh, you're basically there. So, say a Luke McKenzie, uh, whilst he had a crappy race in, I think, 11th. 12th, I think it was, yeah. 11th, 12th. 
he'll get enough points there, I would imagine. Uh, was he ever in the game? No, he was out of the swim. They, they had reports that he um, had trouble with a, his strap on his bike helmet, so lost heaps of time getting onto his bike and then was never in the game. I had him as one of my picks. I didn't actually – I kind of felt I had to pick him because he's second in Kona. Yeah. Got to give him the benefit of the chance, but apparently he also had a bike crash um, just uh, in the weeks leading in. So he's, uh, yeah, his swim time there is 49.39, and I'm pretty sure he would have been uh, one of the first guys out of the water. So he, there he's lost four minutes in the swim and probably didn't probably didn't have any other, anybody else to, to ride with either. So probably had a bit of a lonely time of it on the bike. Um, what, what were you going to say? There's some other, there's pretty noteworthy performances in in this um, this race. You had Marino van Holnacker there in sixth place, so he's on the comeback trail. Didn't do anything spectacular there. He was riding with Crowley for quite a long time and uh, put the herd on those guys in the the second half of the ride or the tail end of the ride. So a good steady race. Eight oh eight, you know, it's not eight oh eight, and you're getting sixth. That's pretty tough. Although um, the only reason it's a good result for him is because he finished. Because mm-hmm. you know Marino's the kind of guy who you look to win Kona. Yep. So he's not 100, percent but he's on the comeback trail. Get some reasonable points there, but you know he's going to have to do at least one Ironman plus some good 70.3 performances to to, to qualify. I would imagine. Uh, other interesting ones was Christian Kemp who won. Auckland 70.3 last year uh, he was in 8th place uh, first sort of Ironman performance of any note and then Peter Robinson, yeah. Robbo was there in 10th place, he was running with Crow for quite some time so he must have blown to pieces a bit still 10th place, 8.16 uh, but he, if, if he was running with Crow, Crow ran 2.43 and Robbo ran 2.57 so he somewhere along the way he lost 14 minutes and then Daniel Hawksworth 11th doubled up from Ironman New Zealand, as did Harry Wiltshire in 12th. And, yeah, I think those guys, you know, they're probably out there, the sort of second to third tier guys out there just trying to scramble for points to see if they can make it to Kona. Um, one of my picks, Courtney Atkinson, only managed to get 17th, but still 8.35 and 17th. Well, I think that one of the good things about this race is for Dirk Bockel. You know, like we spoke to him after Kona last year, and he was really despondent, and he was on that kind of path where he was questioning his career. And, uh, you know, he had a great road, and but you know to do Melbourne this early in the year is actually you know he said obviously had a great race won it which is great and sets up the rest of his year but more importantly he uh, you know he's got time now to get you know properly prepared for Kona yeah well he, again he's going to have to is he, D, is he DNF and oh he didn't do well I don't think he got top ten yeah but I, I think surely he, he can pull off a seventy point three to get there but. Yeah, but I don't know if that'll be enough to get there. Surely you won one of these races, you're guaranteed. I'll do some Yeah, I think if you won a championship race, you should pretty much be there to an entry to Kona without having to do another Ironman. You'd think so. You'd think oh. if you're going to do a system that's going... Like, I don't know, I'm just saying, but if you're going to do a system that's going, we're going to have these championship races, and you win a championship race, and then that means that you have to do another Ironman. You, you tell us about... Um about the, who got third and fourth in the girls' race. Okay, I'll pull that up. Well, no, actually, I'm one, okay, we're happy to pull that. We can't neglect the girls, John. We can't neglect the no, girls. You can't. do it all the time. Kim um, Schweisenberger. Yeah. And then Rebecca Keat got in, uh, fourth in a time of 9-11. And the girls' race was pretty close. Not as close as the guys, but it kind of was rolling over. But, John, I got an email through from a guy called, what's his name? It was called Travis Bottomley. And he's basically saying, just had a look at the age group results in Melbourne, and I find a number of competitors that went under 10 hours amazing. And I wonder if you've under ever... Under 10? How about under 9? Yeah, well, wait. 
Yeah. Just about under 10, John. Yeah. Just back it up. Um, under 10 hours is amazing. I wonder if you've ever had any insight into, here are just a few rough sets. So I'm in Melbourne, buckled it at 8.01. Yeah. Age group is under 10 hours, 330 of the 1,700 competing. Mm-hmm. So it's 19% of the field. Some of the age group is under 10 hours, so 30 to 34, 60 of them, 35 to 39, 74, 40 to 43, uh, 4, uh, 63, 45 to 49, 33. Challenge Road is recognised as one of the fastest courses in the world. So I look at the results from a couple of their recent races there. As comparison, the results from a couple of the Challenge Results races are 2011 when Ray Lute did 741, 314 of two and a half thousand, so only 12% of the finishers did that time um, got under 10. And then in 2013, when Dirk Bockel did uh, 751, uh, only 13% or nearly 14% of them got them. So Melbourne seems to be a faster course given the winner's times, but actually having 20% of the age group, no, no it can't be faster. Um, Given the winner's time, 20% of the age group field under 10 hours seems very high. The course is fast, but there are plenty of faster or faster courses around the world that don't get as high a percentage of finishes under 10 hours. I know that it's a championship race, but for the age groupers, is still on the first best-dressed basis. I would suggest that the field of rope would be at least the same quality or higher than Melbourne. So your thoughts on that, John? I wasn't really listening. <laughs> but I, would, I listened to your last sentence, and I would agree with that. You know, Aussies are bloody good at triathlon but mm. so are Germans yeah so I would say I would, I would expect them to be you know somewhat on par does it have something to do with the fact that you know Rote has another nearly 800 competitors that maybe you're just going to have a bigger spread because you're going to have more of the the lower end yeah I don't know yeah it's it's, it's just really interesting you know when you think 20% of the field I was staggered more just at the, at the pointy end of the field how fast it was over there this year. So, uh, but it's been fast most years. Oh, no, this year was especially fast. What you, for um, age groupers? For age groupers. Okay. So we had first age grouper in... Well, last year they didn't even swim, did they? They didn't, or yeah. Or shortened it. The first age group was David Mead in 8.37. 8.37. If I just take a look at my age group, 35 to 39. So in, uh, I, I, Looking at this, you know, you'd say the course is uh, running... Maybe 20 minutes quicker than Taupo. You know, 8.01 for the winner, probably about 8.20 in Taupo. Ballpark, you know, 15 to 20. I'd say a little bit longer because I'd say, who won Taupo? Yeah, but he won. And Bevan did 8.15, 8.15, 8.17 there last year. Yeah, so f- 15 to 20 yeah. in that range. Uh, so in my age group, first was 8.42, uh, Xavier Cockpot. But I beat him in Auckland 70.3, so I know, he must have been having a bloody picnic up there. Uh, fifth place, 8.58. So I suppose fifth place, you know, they'd make 9.15 to 9.20. Yeah, it's very similar. I suppose it's somewhat similar. So it's actually 8.40, 8.42 is still pretty fast. Oh, yeah. But then again... So when I suppose if you compare this to what road... What did you do in road? Yeah, I did 8.51. I would have got second second in this age group with my road performance. Okay, that's about right. Run times aren't What did you fast. get in road? In your age group? Oh, I think I raced pro. I did race pro. Oh, you did too, yeah. Yeah, I still didn't get it. Wasn't very high up. I think I was, I think I was fiftieth. In age groups like. overall, but I wonder where. No, overall, including the pros, maybe fiftieth or twenty thirtieth. I can't remember. So Matthew Bin sent through an email. He sent through a couple of emails. He's just saying Peter Robbo, we should get him on the show. He thinks that he's gonna, you know, once he gets that run, he's gonna be a contender, which is good to hear. But he was saying that the race has also been signed for another two years, mm-hmm. which is interesting that it wasn't signed. I thought they would have a bigger long term plan. Well, that's three years. Three years gone. 
so yeah, I, guess you, like I guess you initially sign up for a three-year contract mm. and then you, you carry on. I'm going to come back to your point about... Oh, did you listen to that email now? No, I'm coming oh, back no. to your point about that you were saying you'd think four thousand. Uh, you'd think the winning the race should be enough, and yeah. So it's a four thousand point race now. So I think you're right. If you went and did a couple of seventy point threes, you'd have enough. Which I think should be the case because it's like it's a championship race. Mm. And look at the was a good field, you know, strong field with you know the kind of races we want to see. So you know, if you go along and win that race, you, you you know those types of races take more effort too. Yes. You know, Bockel was going to hurt a little bit more. You know, as you say, all the guys around him were blowing up. Mm. They're paying the price for that race, and so you know, whereas you could just turn up to some kind of second tier Ironman where you might have one, two people around you. So. And the good, you know, these guys they're racing hard now if they focus on Kona they could be winners they're not going to necessarily you know those middle yeah. middle season guys you have to go and do Germany it's your theory isn't it and they never won whereas Freddie Van Leer last year he you know, he did uh, Abu Dhabi went on to win same same old story uh, so bloody interesting races I guess Luke McKenzie probably validated his uh, Crowey's last Ironman he said he looked devastated when he finished the race he was out on his feet said it was one of the hardest runs he's ever did but he was fastest run split at 2.43 so no, no joke he probably <laughs> did run pretty hard uh, so that's him done, done and dusted and he said he doesn't really have too many plans in terms of actually racing at this stage and I thought initially he was going to do some more 70.3s but this stage you know, he says hasn't can really I, got can I, can I make a comment here which is um just an observation on Crowey. Mm. Crowey does tend to say quite emotional things at the end of a race. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, because really, when we interviewed him the time he didn't win Kona, yeah. he was talking retirement then. Yes. And, and, and he, he obviously he gets a bit emotional after the race, which, fair enough, oh, nothing yeah. against him. Um, and obviously, this like in the, I read the report about this, and he was saying, you know, like, I'm, I want to win, you know, and mm. for me to hurt this much and get fifth is just not what I'm about. And, you mm. know, I'm 42 and a half and I just, you know, but he also did say, you know, when you, you can't go into a race 90% and expect to win. Mm. So he obviously feels he can get another 10%. And you know what, he's, he's made this statement, so you've got to believe it that he's looking at moving on. But he has made comments over the last few years like this post-race in quite an emotional place. Mm. And then after the fact, he's come back and said, oh, you know, actually, I'm, you know, give me, I might take two years between Conan's, but so I, I, I believe him, but I wouldn't be surprised if in a few months from now he's turned up and go, oh, you know, actually. I'd be very surprised to see him do another Ironman. Very surprised. I wouldn't be surprised to see him doing 70.3s and carry on racing, but um, unless it was a money grab, uh, I, I, I'd struggle. Uh, you're just, it's just, they're just too hard to do Ironman. So you can get away at half at half Ironman. Yeah, uh, but, but I don't know. I don't know. I just uh, if you think about last few years, how many times have we actually heard mm. him say he's going to retire? Mm. And this one did seem a little bit more official. <laughs> um, but you know, we we all do emotion, you know, say emotional things at times. So did you, you, your did you do your picks? No, I didn't do my picks. Oh, you, Thorson gave you two emails and you were still too lazy. I to know. Do it. I was I was doing my course. Okay. It's killing my body. I, I actually did reason reasonably on my men's picks. I did pick Dirk Bockel to win. I had Luke McKenzie in there just based off his kind of performance. But I kind of I thought I picked you for thirty third. I should have done the same again. Uh, I had Craig Alexander in third, Michael Weiss in fourth, and Courtney Atkinson was my sort of uh, dark horse to come through. So I would have never have picked Paul Ambrose. I don't think so. He would have he sort of got it got in there. And if I was going to do a sixth pick, it was going to be uh, oh, sure David Dello. Sure it was. It was. I was sure. tossing. Up. I was going Courtney Atkinson versus David Dell. I thought he was about ready to come back in. Women's picks: I had Mary Beth Ellis first, Caroline Stephens second, Rebecca Keat third, Asa Lundstrom fourth, and Angela Duncan fifth. And so I got first and second round the wrong way. Rebecca Keat was in fourth, not third. I think Asa Lundstrom was. Uh, 
she was up there as well somewhere. So I didn't do too badly. Tell you what, it's pretty tricky this week. So this is with uh, tryrating.com and Torsten and Luke McKenzie. And I am predictions. I am hyphen predictions.com. Uh, and this week we've got coming up um, Iron Man Los Cabos doing those picks. That's pretty tricky because it's just <laughs> nobody's. Not, not nobody's, but there's, there's one or two on the guys' side of things that are sort of you'd expect to, to probably take it out on the girls side of things it's just a bloody outside of Lindsay Corbin it's a complete lottery so so we've got that race coming up we've also got hits uh, how's that one Oshia Akala Akala um, and those are two races coming up this weekend John Challenge have announced another race Challenge Shepparton which used to be a 70.3 and is now a challenge race John, in Australia how long do you, let's make a prediction now how long do, is it before they announce their championship race I've got no idea. No, but um, it's a prediction. Well, I don't, I don't see it coming anytime soon. Oh, don't you? No. I reckon the next two years. Okay. I think we'll see within the next two years, we're going to see a challenge championship race. Mm-hmm. Probably right. Yeah. Um, and and Felix has said it won't be. Has he? Mm-hmm. What did he say? I've seen interviews with him. It won't be right. Come on, Felix. He says it's not a high priority, uh, and if and when it does happen, it, it, it probably wouldn't be right. I think, that, I think they're going to do it. No, because when we talked to him in Kona, remember we talked to him in Kona at that mm-hmm. Mecca thing we went to? Mm-hmm. And he did, I got the feeling then that there was in the pipelines. Mm-hmm. You know, he said, you always ask me this question. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I, I say next two years, we're going to see a challenge championship. I'd rather see a million dollar race than a championship race. Well, if it was a million dollar race, you could call it a championship <laughs> race. It's true. Like. Would you need to? If. So it's a, marketed as a million dollar race. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if they draw much. Like, if we think of Abu Dhabi, mm. when it had more money, it drawed a big field, but it wasn't that big. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't that big event outside of our world. Mm. Do you think a million-dollar race would actually draw any PR outside of our world? If it was in Germany, I think it probably Probably not in our English-speaking world if it was in Germany. Um, I don't know. Because a million dollars, like, as we always talk about, go to golf, that's your average mm. weekend. Mm. If you went and put it in downtown London or something like that, a million bucks on the line, multi-lap course. Like two laps, 2K laps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're lapped and you're out. <laughs> That'd be kind of cool, last man standing. Yeah. Uh, John's ITU update. What happened, John? Was this in New Plymouth? We had was New it? Plymouth, ITU, was, was World it good? Cup race. We had Hersey, young girl from States, only her second season. Watch out for girls coming out of States. They've got a pretty impressive uh, production line of athletes coming out of there, like the Poms. It's either the Poms or the... Or the um, the Yankees doing very well, so she took that out from Andrea Hewitt and Mola, um, Marion Mola took out the guys' race, and his coach is uh, Joe Joel Filio, who's on the show today. Oh wow! So there you go. Next round coming up. Well, next first round. Gomez. He was second. It was very close. So the Mola's sort of the the, the up and comer, and he's beaten one of the big dogs. Oh, it's a big race. So or was Gomez kind of saving himself? Well, he could be. Auckland is in two weeks' time, and that's where the real showdown will happen. That's where the game begins. Okay, Tanya Pora got a camp on, guys, and we want to promote it. So Tanya Pora Triathlon Super Camp, and it's on the twenty third of August to the thirtieth of August. And you know, basically, <coughs> if you're looking at doing this camp, it's uh, tell us the details, John. 
it is perfect preparation for Kona. Um, this is, the timing is absolutely spot on. It's the same time when we're actually doing our epic camp in Canada. And the reason why we're doing it then is because it's perfect preparation for Kona. Uh, so you're going to have excellent conditions in terms of you know getting acclimatized. Uh, you're going to have excellent facilities. You're going to be able to train with Maka. You're going to be able to train with Jurgen Zach. You're going to be able to train with a bunch of other dudes Linda there. Granger's, Carolyn Stefan. So it's going to be very very cool uh, and we know oh no that's not true that's yeah, a regular re- re- retract yeah. that comment yeah so yeah no, it's a basically it's where they train but yeah but this one yeah, you'll be involved with Mecca and that so staying at Tanyapura you know the awesome resort that is you've got swimming pools for Africa there uh, just a cool place to go if you use the promo code when you, if you sign up use the promo code IMTALK uh, you'll get 10% off so you check it out tanyapura.com slash supercamp we'll have a link on imtalk.me but if you want to get ready for any late season race, whether it be Kona, um, probably an early block for Western Australia, and just want to go to a cool venue, I was actually talking to Belinda about, you know, we're thinking, oh, maybe a, a GC holiday at some t- stage on the GC. Gold Coast. We're thinking, oh, Thailand would probably actually be better, probably enjoy a bit more. Thailand so, would be a lot better than yeah, GC. Yeah. Although GC is good for kids. It is. It is yeah. good for kids. Yeah. So check it out, tanyapura.com slash supercamp. John, if you do this camp, you get to do track with Zach. Track with Zach. Track with Zach. It's limited to 50 spots, guys, so make sure you get in early because it, it will be a pretty good camp. So go to Tanya Poor now. There's a bit of discount code, isn't there? Yeah, I'm talk. I just said that. You must have been listening really well. Well, it's because well. I was making, looking at Zach and uh, Tech. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Well, I'm hearing excuses. Oh, well, I'm just, I'm just following my leader. Yeah. You see what I did there? Follow yep. my leader. Okay, Jombo, what else have we got here? We've got sponsor. Athlinks.com. So we said before that this weekend coming up, we've got Ironman Los Cabos. Last year was the first year it was held, so I thought check out Athlinks to see who the first Athlinks finishers were there. We actually have one of our pros, Joseph Major, who was in third place, was the first Athlinks finisher in 8.33. Timo Bruck won last year from Trevor Del Salt. But on the, on the other age group athletes, we had Slater Fletcher, First age group there in 9.25, and we had Rob Gray in 9.42, and we had David Tyndall in third. And then on the girls' side of things, we had... Duh, duh, duh. Tell us about your life, Bevan. I'm just... Uh, did I tell you I was really sore? I mean, uh, I did this training camp, and it was... Just, I, oh, I'll talk about it at the end of the show. Catherine Lacrosse was first girl in 12.10, first athletics finisher from Lisa Plunkett, and... Renat Schmidt. How long is Los Cabos? This is the second year, second is it? Second year for Los Cabos. But keep it all up on. It says, I love this. It just saves me time. I don't have to go onto the Los Cabos website. Don't have to look through there. Just go to Athlinks, type it in. And the way that they now do their filtering, you don't come up with 5 million different Ironman results. It's just, boom, Ironman Los Cabos. And it's going to have all the years there. And you can just go through. So if you're racing this weekend, you can go in there. You're thinking, you're not quite sure about what's going on with times, how long different um, parts of the race take you can go check it out here do two years well this in this case you only do one year's comparison but uh, Athlinks has got it all I was, I was reading a book the other day uh, I don't know some coaching book but um, and they were just talking about how you know when you think about people some people who compete you know one of the dangers of athletes is you compare yourself to from your peak moment mm-hmm. you know when you look back you know as your age in particular so you might be you know like in your 50s and you look back to your 20s oh you know I did a three hour marathon I you know, you're always kind of aiming for that unrealistic goal because you're, you know, in that place. And, uh, you know, a good strategy to do in that situation is to always compare yourself to your field. So you might say, in my 20s, when I did three hours, I was in the top 
15% of my age group field. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now that I'm 50, that should be the, still the aim to get in the top yep. 15%. And so, you know, what you can do is if you are, you know, looking for a goal for a race or you're trying to compare yourself where you are, you can go to athletes, you go, okay, I'm going to do Los Cabos this weekend. You know, where would 12% be? Okay, well, I want to sit around that 10 out of 30 mm-hmm. mark, maybe, and, you know, and so you can kind of figure that stuff out. And that's where athletes can be a really good tool for motivation for you. Exactly. So athletes.com, guys, check, check. And Thiles was there last year, 1207. Oh, there you go. Mm. Do you want to tell your story about her, John? Mm. Go Probably on. not. It's not a bad story. So <laughs> we got a press release uh, earlier that we're going to maybe go over this a little bit later on, but they announced the world age group, what do they call it? A uh, world, all world, all world champions for, for Ironman. And Anne Files there was listed as uh, first place in the physically challenged. And John was like, was that because she wears jandals? Yeah. And it turns out they got it wrong, didn't they? And then we got a retraction about an hour later and Anne Files had name had disappeared. So, so she either wasn't the champion or they just thought that wearing jandals was not a sufficient physical no, uh, no, disability. Not, she says it is an advantage, <laughs> but... When she wears jandals, does she have jandals that goes up through the middle of the toe? Or does she? Ask her when Cause, she's in it. Because that, that's going to surely rub your feet off. You would have thought so. You know, a bit of friction. Okay, John, the discussion of the week. So last week, John wanted to know if you are someone who regularly does IA, uh, WTC races, e.g. 7.3s and Ironman branded events, are you always, uh, would you look at what would take you? What would to, it take? For you to do a WTC, non-WTC event. And Bevan belittled my You got suggestion. more than eight. I know, I got about, about 17. 17 yeah. I know, there you go, yeah. it was a good topic. Well, I wouldn't say good. <laughs> 17 is still the low end, but I'll, better than I thought. Yeah, Sean O'Keefe, WDC have got me by the balls with the lure of Kona legacy slot. Get to apply next February, but could be forking out year on year, depending on numbers. Saying that, I do enjoy them more than challenge events. So a couple of people did comment that, yeah, WTC got them by the balls with regards to they want to get to Kona with the legacy slot. Tony Spearing's got, I race WTC as there is consistency in the events I travel to. I know what I'm getting into. Uh, for me, competing in a non-WTC event, they need to be close to where I live. That way, if I do not live up to expectations, then nothing is lost other than a day or overnight trip and a good training day gained. I do live in a city with a challenge race just announced, so I'll be trying that brand next year. Darren Drysdale, as long as it's closed roads and a good course and not silly pounds, I'd give it a go. Like uh, like Challenge Weymouth this year instead of UK 70.3. I did Challenge Henley and Ironman Regensburg in 2011. Fact is, Ironman just had more bling and razzmatazz, but things may have changed. Outlook half for me also this year, far less dollars. Great event, but admittedly not the UK 70.3 feeling slash crowds. Jason Rodriguez got money and some sort of age group championship qualifier. WC mm-hmm. rules uh, for Kona and 70.3 champs. Other series need to continue to add series that lead up to championships. And that's the thing about challenges, they don't have that, they don't have the carrot. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like Challenge have races and they've got these good little races and, you know, you know they've got the iconic races like the, the roads. But they don't have the carrot that makes people want to stay within their system. And, mm-hmm. you know, that would be the advantage of having a championship race if they could make it a championship race like Kona where they get all the top pros there. But how big is that carrot for the majority of the people racing? So say you go Ironman New Zealand. How, many, what, people, John, how many people are really there because you know of that carrot? How many people have you spoken to over the years who when they tell you they're going to do an Ironman and they think they're going to get to Kona but they're totally unrealistic. Mm. I think it's part of their long term, yeah, part of their long term So the carrot, it, it is there. I think most people who do Ironman have that dream of doing Kona. 
Mm. You know, now to, for challenge to create that kind of stigma, uh, you know, that kind of aura around a race would take a few years. But if they were to put a million dollars on the line, now that's probably unrealistic. But if they would have a race where they got all the top guys and girls there, mm. you know, uh, uh, for a few years in a row, that race would become that thing. And uh, I do think it's worth challenge having that carrot. Okay. Yeah. Um, Brian Joe, I enjoy all half Ironman races, but very few non-WTC races have sufficient participants. I like the energy of over 2,000 athletes during an Ironman. Okay, uh, Matt Rhodes has got, for my first Ironman in 2007, I was a slut for the MDOT. Since then, it doesn't matter, and I've only done one Ironman branded race event, uh, either 70.3 or Ironman. I choose races based on the race and its appeal. I like doing Lake Placid and Rev3 Quasi this year, both awesome venues. Jose Jimenez, a well-measured course, good timing systems, good volunteers, good support on the course, and good safety measures. As long as I have that, I'm all good. I don't need 1,500 people to enjoy Ironman or 70.3, and I certainly would do without having to pay 700 bucks for a race. There are good races out there where you can race for less than half what WTC charges. Funny to me how important it is for some people to feel like rock stars on the course. Stuart Martin Lawrence has got, what a great question. I am pretty focused on WTC races. From the first time I watched Kona, I knew I wanted to go. So since the legacy lottery has been introduced, I am pretty much focused on Ironman. I do do non-other WTC events uh, as training for my races. My fastest time over the full distance is on a non-Ironman event. It, however, does not mean the same. Very silly, I know. For me, uh, to move brands, it would be after Kona and hopefully qualify for a challenge grand final. So there you go. Mm -hmm. uh, if one event ever happens, hopefully wrote. Luke. Urgots, agree with Jason Rodriguez, if Challenge or Rev3 had some sort of age group championship race to qualify, then that would be more appealing. Okay, and we've got Gary Hobson, he's got to do my first ever Challenge event last year, only because it happened to coincide with a family holiday. Challenge uh, event didn't really do what a WTC event does, so going back to Ironman 2014. Your, so. My final one, Jorg Reinal, money and a hug from John at the finish <laughs> line, that would get him to change. There we go. There you go, uh, Felix and yep. Victoria. If employ you're John. Employ me. You're going to be the official hugger. I won't be saying you're an Iron Man or anything, but I'll give. I'll give you'll, you'll chase him as I get across the line. Yeah, give Come hug. give me a hug. Yeah. There you go. Guaranteed to thoughts, increase John? participation. Uh, to me, it doesn't really bother. I think my, my, if, for me, you know, if, if we had uh, two races close to Christchurch, one was 70.3, one was uh, a challenge race, um, what would do it for me would be course design, um, probably strength of the field, and then costs and stuff. That would be costs would probably actually be uh, probably, <laughs> one. Uh, no, I'd probably go course design, costs, and then uh, level of competitiveness for me. That would be the, the things that would d make me decide which way to go. So I guess in, in New Zealand we have that choice in Christchurch of going Challenge Wanaka um, for the, doing the half, say so you're getting ready for Ironman New Zealand, or you go to Auckland 70.3. And this year, what got me the lure to go to 70.3 was Kona. Kona. Uh, and I probably, even if it didn't have Kona slots, I probably would have gone to Auckland as well because of the course design is more applicable to, to Taupo, which I was trying to prepare for. So if I was trying to prepare for a... Um, Say I, was, say I was trying to prepare for Challenge Wanaka and there was two races on, then I'd go for a, a hillier, bumpier course. So that's pretty important for me. Uh, it doesn't bother me too much whether there's um, 
massive numbers of people racing. I'd probably prefer there's a, a reasonable number, but say... Uh, but you get more of an atmosphere with more people, don't you? Yeah, but that doesn't phase me. I, I like there to be enough people on the course, so it's not nobody out there, but, you know, a 1,000 or so is enough for me. I don't necessarily need two, two to 3,000 that, that some races have. And... But I guess probably an important part for me is having good people at the finish, reasonable crowds at the finish, and a bit of atmosphere. Which, which again, if we take the New Zealand example, Challenge Monica does a pretty good job. Yes, they're all really. So does so does uh, Ironman New Zealand. I think for most people, they're going to want to do an Ironman first when it comes to a long course. I think that that's you know like that's the appeal. You, you know, you sign mm-hmm. up to do an Ironman with the brand. I know that I probably would have. You know, I didn't really even think about doing a challenge. Well, Challenge wasn't as big when I was doing it, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, probably as my first race, I'd always want to do an Ironman, but then I'm not really that loyal to Ironman as a brand. But they do put on a great race. Um, yeah, no, I'm, uh, for me, I do like bigger races. I do like big atmosphere. You know, I just think there's something kind of cool. I think if you're going to spend that much money, you're going to have this big event and big experience. It's kind of either got to be a really epic, crazy course, like a Norseman, mm-hmm. which is kind of just kind of out there, or it's going to be just, a life experience that is going to blow your socks off. Mm-hmm. So like like the roads, like, you know, mm-hmm. Kona, you know. And so for me, those things would be the things that appeal most. But I'm definitely not, you know, affiliated to one more than the other. It would just be a kind of personal choice based around. So I think, for, for, you know, we keep using the challenge example, but a lot of their European races are, are, are big events. Yeah. And they're probably very comparable to a 70.3. When they go to the States, they're going to start out being smaller races like uh, Challenge Canada, which was in Penticton, was much smaller than what it had been in the past. So, yeah. So we'll see. This week's question is um, basically Brent uh, Semmut sent through. Um, not sure if you guys uh, got this on today's podcast. We got this email last week, but I'm in Port Macquarie are having a rolling start as the swim. 600 to 6.45 rolling start. Oh, that must be the time. 6.30 to 6.45 rolling start after the pros go in, causing a massive and often heated discussion on the various forums here. Interested to see what your guys take are on this. So basically the question is, and that's from Samo, um, he's just basically wondering, for those who have tried the new start procedures, what did you think of them? Uh, and for the people doing Port Macquarie, are you happy or annoyed? Or, or if Why don't you use my words I put there? Are you pissed? Yeah. Okay. Did you piss yourself? That's, yeah. that's what you want to know. Yeah. When, when you saw that announcement, did you urinate on yourself? Whip it out. John, question is, let's just say, let's say you'd signed up for a race and then you found out after that they changed it to a... Yeah, I wouldn't be very happy about that. Hey. I've been urinating on it. I've actually done this twice now. Similar things happened in Australia now at two events, which I wouldn't be very happy about. Firstly, this here, uh, and this makes it quite. If if you're going for qualification, this just throws a massive spin. But how are they doing the split start? Do you know? It's just a roll. You just go whenever. If it's a rolling start, is is what. So you jump in any time between 6.30 and 6.45. Yeah, so tactically, Uh. you can go. I'm going to go at 6.45 or I'm going to make sure I get in the front of the queue and that's a disadvantage potentially for somebody else. So, uh, Okay, if you let's say this is the case, where would you start? I would start probably at the front. Yeah, because if you start at the back, you've got to go through the peasants. Mm. Are you calling those uh, middle of the pack as peasants, are you? Well, if you're a good swimmer, yes. Yeah. You know, if you're a good swimmer, the people behind you are peasants. 
<laughs> it's a simple rule of racing. You're a peasant man. <laughs> oh, I'm not denying it nowadays. God. It was probably there was about 1,600 peasants behind me in Taupo. That's right. Uh, they've done this a second time as well in Australia, which is poor form. So kind of poor form. Ironman Cairns, what they've done there is they've moved the swim. Uh, so... So, but the people have gone and booked all their accommodation and everything, so they're right by the start. Uh, and the swim, it's, it's not like it's just down the road, it's, it's a significant distance away. And you're like, oh, that's great. I just booked it so my family can sit there and watch the swim, and now you've gone and moved it. It does look like a nicer swim, but it's like, well. Could have waited, you're mm, thinking. Yeah. Anyway. Well, well the thing out. is, if you sign up for a race, you sign up for a race, don't you? And so, mm. and, you know, but if they've kind of seen these the experience, a family experience. Yeah, but it's like, you know, for most people, actually for a lot of the field, it'd be a good thing because they're not that confident in the swim. But for a lot of people who are trying to get slots, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's a funny one. So, okay, so we want to say, basically, have you tried the procedures and what do you think of them? And let's say you're signing up for an Ironman and um, you weren't, you know, and they changed this from, you know, everybody start to a rolling start. Would you piss on yourself? Yes. <laughs> there there we go. Go. Music time, Bevan. Oh, it's the music. Age Grouper of the Week. That's a bit late on that one. Good old Tim Ford sent through this week's Age Grouper. I would like to nominate for Age Grouper of the Week. The person I want to nominate while she races sometimes does much more behind the scenes for so many people, and I really think she deserves a bit of I Am Talk love. Joe Baxis, would say. Go with that. Yeah, Joe Baxis is a resident stalker on the Maca X Global Triathlon team. She was known for keeping. Tabs on not only what the, all the pros are doing, especially Terenzo, but also for keeping track of the MacRx members who race globally. Joe is a long-time listener of the show and is responsible for most of the MacRx guys listening to your show. She also provides us with an up-to-date tracking of John when he was qualifying for Kona at Ironman New Zealand. Thank you very much, Joe. Appreciate it. Every weekend, she will discover the, the names of all the members who are racing around the world and then, time zone permitting, uh, provides us with their live results. Wow, that's pretty, that's pretty, yeah. pretty full on, isn't it? Uh, now, this takes her hours and she does it for no reason other than to ensure that we all know that there are people out there following us while we are racing. While her greatest achievement in triathlon might not be breaking uh, her wrist for, or might be breaking her wrist while falling off her bike in her own driveway, that is, that's a pretty good effort, uh, she is one of those amazing people who makes triathlon the amazing inclusive sport that it is. She will often travel to races across Australia and New Zealand and even Phuket just to support the team and the pros. I just think she deserves some recognition for this and know that she loves your show and I thought this would be a good way to do this. Thanks fellas, keep up the good work. Well, that is, people like that, John, people like that do my mind in. Joe, he's throwing the pen down on No, but in a positive way. Yeah. Because I'm way too selfish to be like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I know you are too, let's be honest. Like, some people, like, some people are just so giving with their time. Mm. And, and like, I'm... I like to I like I like to think I do good in the world, but to go on and you know spend time just to look at people's results and then put on your forum so everyone feels included. And as you're saying, you know people who are out there racing, they know you, they know their crew's following because Joe's doing this work. Joe, you're a legend. Yeah, she's got the good little Macker X crew going and just created a nice little community there. So solid work, nice. Yeah, man. What's the most giving thing you've ever done? <laughs> Uh, I filled up your water this morning. Yeah, that, that, I was okay, thinking that's probably the most giving thing you've done in his life. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, Joe. Joe Baxas, you are our Age of the, the week. week. Love your work, Joe. Keep it up. You're a legend. Sponsor. Even this one's gold. Gold, John. Yeah, gold. Because it's gold. So, I was talking to an athlete, our coach, and she's got a, uh, a shed that she goes down and a shed. D- does her. 
her one training session. It's like her training shed, is it? Yeah. And she doesn't like going to the shed. That sounds like a bit of a punishment, to it be honest. Does. She makes it sound that way. But I was thinking, you gotta, if, you, if you've got your little um, tri-cave where you go and do your trainer sessions, you've got to try and create some good, right. good vibes it around it. You know, you get, get some posters in there, get a good, some good get sounds in there, especially if you... you big guys, screen, do you have a big screen when you do your... Uh, I've got it on my laptop and on some well, occasions. It's big, it's smallish, but it yeah, works. But sometimes we, we get in the garage and this week we're going on a Saturday morning, we'll have the big screen, we've got the Wahoo kickers, we're going to have six of them out there, we'll all be biking on the same course, it's pretty funky. Do you race each other? Yeah, you can do. Yeah, but do we've you? got it sorted now. Well, this week, this week is the first time we're really going to officially going to go for it. And what's the race? Uh, we, I don't know, we'll probably ride a bit on the Hawaii course, maybe do the Athens Olympic course a little bit. It's nice. got a pretty challenging little hill on it. And does it have video... Uh, no, it basically shows you where you are. It shows you the profile that we're coming up to, and uh, and yeah, basically what your position. And it's all even Stevens stuff. It's nice. Mm-hmm. So if you want to create your own little environment, I was on Coffees of Hawaii, and they've got these um, burlap sacks, these big sort of meshy sacks. You know, sure, must have used for transporting beans, coffee beans. You can, and they haven't they haven't been used. Uh, been used. Been used. <laughs> but. Pretty cool to hang up some sort of mesh bags in your room with coffees of Hawaii yeah, to get a bit of feel. Right. Have a couple of posters in the room. Yeah, and try dungeon. We'll have a bit of coffee. If if you are indeed right that everybody has that carrot of Kona somewhere in their mind, I think they to do. Get there, I think you know, do. Hang up a bit of Kona memorabilia. We might do even do our little. Uh, well, I don't know if I will this year. We, we usually do our Kona st- slash stash bag, but just get some some different race posters and stuff, get yourself some coffees of Hawaii, burlap sacks for $8.50. <laughs> couldn't make them for that, John. Couldn't make them for that. And hang them up around your uh, your little tri-cave. I'm going to get one of these bad boys, hang it up in my tri-cave, which is the garage. Does, uh, is it your tri-cave? It's a pretty messy, uh, messy place. Suppose you've got the car in there, it's a double garage, you've got the car, and then the rest of the stuff room is just covered in my tri-shit. Do you have like posters? Oh, well, well, now I'm going to have coffee, that, coffees of Y bags. Do you know what? I'm not the kind of guy who cares about doing things up. Did you, mm-hmm. if you, when you lived by yourself, what kind of, what kind of like, what do you call this stuff? Tables and stuff. What do you call this? That? Is a, this, furniture. Is, this, this is indeed a table. <laughs> yeah. What kind of furniture? <laughs> did you have good furniture or not? Uh, I didn't live by myself in terms of having my own place. So, but I would have had good quality stuff. Did you? I wouldn't have had peasant stuff. I had peasants. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I did. But I didn't yeah. care. I would. Because my mate Marky Mark, I remember he went and spent like $50,000 on his bedroom suite, like, you know, the table and the mm-hmm. bedside cabinets. Yeah, I'm hearing him. I'm hearing him. And I was like, mate, that's a few thousand bucks. Yeah. I got mine on Trade Me. It was a motley crew of collection. Yeah. That's why when Joe and I moved in together, nothing came from my house. It's funny that. Because <laughs> we, we, we've got classy stuff nowadays, but it's only because of Joe. Yeah. I had nothing to do with it. So get yourself some burlap sacks. What I could do, John... As I get about four or five of these, put them on this wall here. Yeah. I'm sure Joe would let that add, happen. Add a bit of uh, atmosphere to the studios. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. this is the studios. Mm, yeah. Do it. Okay. $8.50 each. And get some coffee. While you're there, there's plenty of coffees. You can get Maui coffee, Kona coffee, Hilo coffee, Oha coffee, Chrissy coffee, limited edition coffee. Looks like they've still got some of their uh, coffee, St. coffee, Patrick's, coffee. St. Patrick's Day coffees in there. For so next check year. Coffeesofhawaii.com. Okay, guys, we've got an interview coming up right now with Joel. Joel Filio. Here we go. Okay, John, but we've got a guest here on the show, and later on in the show, you're going to hear about a rainbow because we're recording this afterwards. But the guest was impressed with the rainbow, weren't you? Definitely. Yeah. See, just so just, so, just so you guys know, we've got Joel Filiol here, who's been, as I said in the intro earlier today, involved with the Canadian team, involved with the British team, in the sort of Brownlee era, Simon Whitfield, Jordan Rapp, and he's currently got a pretty 
solid stable of athletes, including uh, Moller, our Spanish dude who won the latest round of the World Cup race in New Plymouth, uh, along with uh, Paula Finlay, I think, Richard Murray, guys like that. So uh, welcome along to the show, Joel. Yeah, thanks, guys. Firstly, you're in Christchurch, and he's actually in the studio, so no Skype recording today. No. How have you found our, our fickle roads and, uh, and fickle weather? Yeah, it's it's been all right. We kind of knew what to expect, you know, but uh, certainly coming from overseas, the seeing the actual damage from the earthquake is a little more real. And, oh, uh, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, you know, and some of the classic routes that you guys would know we can't really do. Like yeah. The, uh, yeah, down to Littleton and stuff. So, But it's been good. You know, it, we wanted to be over here before Auckland and, and have some warmer weather, and I don't mind that it's it's not super hot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's better for us, really, when we go to Australia. We're reminded, uh, for instance, that it's pretty tough to do quality training there. So it's actually a really good climate for us, I think. Hmm. How, long, how long have you been here for this time? Uh, since the middle of Jan. Okay. So. And, and how often are you moving? Um, we'll move after Auckland uh, to over to Stellenbosch in South Africa. So we like to do a good three months in okay. one place in the winter to establish the season. Wow, Stellenbosch, nice training there. Um, can you just? So Joel's got a, a, a somewhat unique group that I'm really keen to hear about. You've basically got a bunch of um, you know top performing um, pro athletes. I don't know how many you've got, but can you maybe explain to us? how it all works because you know in a lot of countries they have to train with their national coaches and stuff and maybe explain a bit about your group what you're trying to achieve and and maybe how you came about it yeah it's it started really um i guess when i was working in in canada i worked at the national center in victoria in british columbia and uh, i left that job and started my own group in victoria and then uh, simon whitfield came across and and that grew into a role that uh, saw me as the national coach of Canada and then uh, came over to the UK, did the same kind of job, but it wasn't quite for me. So I left that and then started this group in 2011. And we started very small, uh, but after the London Olympics, I, th- I saw an opportunity uh, for athletes that didn't quite fit with their national federation. And that's kind of the, how the how that's grown. So I, I, I went around and talked to a bunch of athletes and, and uh, managed to get enough together that last year we had a, a really nice group and it's just grown from, from here. So those athletes... Um, I mean, each each country, I mean, they employ their own national coaches, but for a variety of reasons, you know, some of them don't find a fit. And mm. uh, I suppose that's where there's a place for somebody like me that we can uh, have a, a different kind of group. Uh, we generally have one per country, uh, mm. male or female, so you don't get the intra-country uh, mm. competitiveness. And... You know, I th- I think it, it's the model really for uh, for for ITU racing because um, we can combine like some of the best there uh, from each country, but some of them are development athletes as well. But we combine that and 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 push each other, and together we're we're better than uh, than individually, and um, also providing these kind of environments like this where. Um, we, we can go wherever we want to go. We have no restrictions, mm-hmm. no restraints, no politics from the federations about where we need to be, and, and, and it's kind of grown from there into, into the group now. When, when someone chooses to go maybe leave a national coach, do they lose their funding when they when you're like what happens with there because you know like obviously in the ITU world like in the Ironman world it's very much you're kind of living on your own belt but mm-hmm. ITU there is a lot more of a support network behind it so do they lose their funding and uh, you know like, how do they find that if they yeah. do they they have to invest in it so that they, each athlete pays a squad fee plus a percentage of their winnings yep. some some of that is subsidized by the federations but it, it very much depends on country the country. individual yep. federations some some of them um, 
uh, they, we, we get paid directly by the federation, and, and, but most have to invest themselves. So it's an interesting decision that they have to make to mm. really invest in their development. And I think overall it's really positive because, you know, within the sort of the funding culture, you know, there's a somewhat a sense of entitlement at times. And for an athlete to say, you know what, I'm going to choose the best environment for me and I'm going to invest my own dollars into mm. that. And, and I think it's really positive for the most part. Makes it more liable, doesn't it? It does, yeah. yeah. We're, all, we're accountable. <clears throat> to each other that you know we we you know their their performances you know dictate the success of the squad and and uh, you know and it, and it rolls from there so it it is a, I think it's really positive uh, for uh, for these athletes to make that decision themselves you're exactly right it's it's just a it's I find an interesting model because athletes are typically pretty selfish and if they've come through a system they have been funded all the way and they haven't had to output anything they basically get a coach paid, they'll get their accommodation paid, they'll get their flights paid, then they'll get their prize money, which they'll see as theirs. But it must be quite a quantum shift for them to say, okay, I'm actually going to pay a coach now and it's going to be coming directly out of my pocket. Mm. Um, do you have many people maybe necessarily approach you initially to do that and then they go, shoot, you know, that's going to cost a bit of money to do that? Some, yeah. I mean, I think also, you know, that we have to. Um all of the logistics we do ourselves as well. So, mm. so like, you know, finding places to stay and sharing costs and a lot of these things that if you go to a national camp, that's usually funded for you and done for you, mm. whereas we have to do that together. So, you know, they have to invest in all those bits and pieces and we have to make decisions, you know, where are we going to stay? What is our budget going to be? Mm. You know, do, do we need cars? How are we going to get, a, you know, all of these things? We have to pool all that together, you know, even pool time, memberships, mm. all of that. So they, they have to invest in it and they've got to believe that it's the right thing for them and you know and, and that's that's why that's what attracts the athletes to, to be together you, you got Paul sitting next to you here and, and he's obviously a part of your team what is your team and because as you say it's not just the coaching aspect there's there's so many aspects to kind of running a, a business like this or, or a structure like this you know what other people are involved and what roles do they have it started just me but you know at this level of the sport and what we're trying to do is just to be the very best in the world you know keeping the athletes healthy and in one piece is you know mission number one so after last year I uh, decided that we should expand our team and look for a physio and somebody that could help us do that and I was lucky to find Paul and somebody that could work well with the team and and we're on the same page and and really work collectively and uh, so this is the first year we're doing that and uh, I think I think it's been uh, really really helpful like you know we had 10 out of 10 athletes in New Plymouth and um, Malulaba healthy and you know in the ITU world and in the elite sport world that's that's pretty good Mm -hmm. and um, you know it's it's insurance as well, you know. When things go wrong and you're in different places around the world, yeah. and it's difficult to find someone that 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 uh, that knows the athletes. So so that's been really good. We work with a physiologist uh, named Dave Bailey who works uh, for Nestle, and I uh, used to work with him for British Triathlon and with British Cycling as well. So he helps us in kind of behind the scenes, mm-hmm. and then uh, my wife is a is a doctor as well, so that helps kind of any problems that come up. What should we do about? Who knows mm. what infections, antibiotics, the Hellman's factor coming in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's the team behind the team, and you know, we, we take the best. I think of of what you need for uh, uh, an elite environment, which is yeah, good coaching. I think, and mm. and and keeping the athletes healthy, and and I think that's all we really need. What about so? Who does the logistical stuff? Like, yeah. is it you? That's me. Wow, because yeah, that, that's a big role, isn't it? It's a huge part of of. Uh, 
an operation like this or a squad like this, the elite coaching, the organization. I mean, it's uh, having worked for federations where I had somebody to do that. I really appreciate the skills that those people have, mm-hmm. but it's something that I end up having to do. And, and it's also taking that load off the athletes to, you know, that I can collectively think, okay, how many rooms do we need? You know, where mm-hmm. do we need to go and all of that stuff. They so. tune up and train and you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they turn up and train, try to make it as easy as possible for them. So what's your your vision? Like, you, you, have you got about 10 athletes now, is it? And, yeah, we have 11 in the group, uh, yeah. six men and five women at where, the moment. Where do you sort of see this going? Do you, is, it, is it something that's scalable for you? You know, if we look at, say, uh, I'm not sure how many athletes Darren Smith has or, say, you know, Sato with his, when he had mm. his team TBB, like, is it going to get bigger or, or what's your vision for this team? It can't scale much more than it is. Yeah, yeah. We, we we might like uh, one more top level female, but that that's about it. And 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 really being able to do that, you know, having Paul there helps. Yeah, ha- having that that a bit of support in the environment helps. But that that's it. It's not a it's not a scalable business really in that sense. And I reluctantly would call it a business. Even really, mm, it's, a, yeah. it's we we it's do it because yeah. we're we're driven to to find a way to be the best in the world and. And, uh, you know, this is, I think, how we can do that. Do you, are you trying to do a brand around it? Is it like, is it, because it's different with ITU, isn't it? Because it's so much about the country, isn't it? Whereas, mm. you know, when Soto was doing what he was doing, it was all long course, so you could kind of put everyone in the same banner. Um, would that mm. the direction or not? It, it's difficult because they all have their own sponsors. Yeah. And, you know, uh, it's nice to have an identity, you know, that the athletes mm. think, oh, you know, who, you know, like D Squad and, yeah. and Darren. That, that's, that's a nice thing for them to, to feel. But it, it, yeah, it, equally, it would be nice to find a sponsor that could help us with some of these expenses because that's yeah. the main thing that we lack from not being from a federation is having that pool of, of resources for yeah. expenses. But it's about their performance. Yeah, I mean, it's, again, it's not something I need to grow or make into a big operation. We're, we're doing it for them and to see them perform. Mm. So um, having talked to Sato and, and athletes that were involved in his, his sort of program, which was probably had similarities to you in terms of a lot of it was camp based Mm -hmm. but he'd he'd often say you know on one day he'd have 10 different athletes doing 10 different things um is that similar for you or do you sort of have your workouts everybody's you know say you've got 20 workouts a week and most athletes at 15 of those workouts or is it very Mm -hmm. personalized in terms of uh who does what yeah we do we do a lot together i mean uh we you know the demands of ITU are what they are, so mm. that dictates a lot of, of what we need to do. But there is there has to be individualization within that. Not everybody can handle the same load, so you know right right off the bat we've got to make sure that the load is right for them and the amount of key you know the volume of run sessions, for instance. Not everybody does the same. We have different groups. You know, I think of another day, Paul, where we were on the on the track and the road in New Brighton. We had one group doing a road session, one group on the mm. track, uh, different sessions going on. So there there is a lot of that. But you know, we generally swim together, and mm. usually there's one swim session. Sometimes there's more than one happening, um, and a lot of the easy stuff that's at their own pace as well, so that they don't get caught up into you know the girls aren't running at Mario's pace, etc. So mm. yeah, you have to have that. I mean, the individualization of load. You know that that's how we keep them in the right place mm. but we do a lot together and i think that's also how we uh, get better and you know you, 
being in a group like that, it raises the level of, of the days where you're struggling. You know, you, you get more out of yourself. Sometimes you don't know what's in there until you go in a group session and, and, and you get pushed along and, and you surprise yourself. So, you know, that, the other side of that is sometimes you, you, you know, can destroy you. So, you know, we have to, we have to uh, keep a close eye on that. But, uh, you know, but that's the power of that group is, is everybody can get better every day. Mm. Well, you know, like I'm sure as a coach, you've kind of developed yourself. And I imagine you probably started with age groupers in your early days and you've kind of got to this point where you're dealing with just top level people. What, is, what are some of the things that are the differences between someone who's just committed their life and actually are really good? What are the things as a coach that you really need to do to get those guys to the next level? Raise their expectations of what's possible. I mean, it's, really? it's sta- mm. standard, but, you know, I think a lot of athletes, I mean, they don't necessarily achieve their full potential and they have blocks or limits of what they think they can do. And so that's part of what we do is show them that they're capable of more. Um, you know, that, that that's a, a pretty fundamental one. Is, and I think it's just as well with this level of athlete is, you know, it's reinforcing just the basics of consistency, you know, get after it day after day after day. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of them think sometimes, or a lot of athletes in general think they have to be amazing, you know, single amazing sessions. And we just come back to just consistent day after day. You know, you don't have to be, you don't have to stretch yourself every single day. You know, can, can you back it up? And, mm-hmm. you know, it's reinforcing that kind of fundamental stuff. I often think, you know, if we do the basics really well, we're going to be pretty good. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think particularly in sort of the, the modern high-performance sporting environment, everybody wants to do the fancy stuff. They want to do the testing. They want to have the gadgets and stuff. So I think sometimes it's pulling away from that. And uh, particularly in the... Again, the, the sports federation world of, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, the, the kind of the EIS or AAS model of wanting to, to do all the details. They want to work with all the different practitioners. And, yeah. and I think I always find us pulling back to simplicity. And, and I think, you know, for them to know that, that, and they see it around as well, mm. that, you know, you can be the very best with a, with a, a simple, effective approach and, and you don't need to get caught up in all of that other stuff that can become a distraction. Mm. Very much so. Um, I was talking to another coach a while ago and, and he had to deal with um, you know, quite a bit of conflict within his particular group of athletes uh, and really had to basically separate them. Uh, how, how do you sort of manage yeah, the culture of it? The culture of, you mm. know, they're all similar sort of beasts. Um, and I'm sure you've had some stages where athletes maybe just don't like each other. Maybe mm. you haven't. Um, but how do you sort of manage that um, and make it work? Because, you know, happy athletes are generally going to create faster athletes. Well, well, I think the thing is, as well, it's very challenging about the environment. It's one thing to create a culture in any environment, but you guys are dealing with people who are highly tired. Most of the time, so that it's an, a massive component to it, doesn't it? Oh yeah, you, yeah. you know that well, you you guys. Uh, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, everybody gets grumpy when they're tired yeah. and hungry, and and particularly when we're dependent on each other in an environment like this to get places. You know, you yeah. got to fill up the van full of them and drive yeah. to the pool, and then we yeah. wait until everyone's ready to go and that and that. But we're really fortunate that we have a great group that that do, that do get along and they do see that mm. you know collectively they're better but but it is those those sorts of skills i mean that's really 
that's probably most of elite coaching is is mm. that kind of stuff the soft skills of of working with personalities work mm. you know knowing what makes each person tick and what makes them different um, sometimes we have to separate them you know from mm. from in that sense like you know you go off and do an on your own session even if they want to do it with the group sometimes it's an no no you go on your own and be in your own space uh, and, and even with the main session, sometimes we have to do that. And, and it, you know, it's the right thing I- individually. But, you know, if, we, if they beat up on each other too much, then, then that's not good for, for anyone. Because, you know, it's also about, in some ways, protecting their confidence going into races. So. Yeah. Well, also, on top of that, then, what's it like when you – because obviously there's periods where some people are being successful and others aren't. How do you manage that? Because I imagine the emotions of, you know, when I'm feeling like a legend and the guy next to me feels like crap, mm. you know, how do you deal with those situations? Well, that's the beauty of a group like ours is, is you know, the success of some raises everybody. You know, everybody loved watching uh, Mario on the yeah, weekend yeah. R- run to the win and, he, and and everybody can participate in that because they, they can see, oh, we're, we're doing that same kind of work. Maybe they didn't have the day that they wanted but seeing the success of your mates, it's huge. It's and the the opposite side of that, when you have a, a group that's struggling, it can be really difficult. You, you know, if if no one is going well, mm-hmm. you can find yourself in in tough times because you need that belief. You know, and, and it's so hard anyway that um, uh, you know when you see your mates going well, it, it it's huge. So every it lifts everybody, and, mm-hmm. and I can, you know can see that from the last two weekends. You know, we had. You know, it's diff- difficult as a coach. We have, you know, you know Mario winning and, and Joao on the podium. And then, you know, but all I can think of after the race is, oh, how come we couldn't get the others going, you know? And so it's even, sometimes even for me, it's like difficult to ce- celebrate completely the success when you want everyone to be going uh, to what they're capable of. But then that that's the process, isn't it? So mm. so it's really good. It's good for, for them and, and for me when, when someone is successful in the group. It reinforces what we're doing. Um, one of Bevan's got a pet project this year when we go to Hawaii Ironman trying to figure out what uh, I mean, uh, make. what money Ironman make and we can clearly see from ITU side of things what they're making from um, ITU races but then a lot of them may go off and do French Grand Prix or whatever mm. for, for, for these athletes say, say some of the top level athletes um, how much of their income is, is prize money versus federation money versus sponsorship R- roughly, you know, roughly how does that sort of break down yeah, if you're top five in the world, then you know you're making decent prize money, yep, and that's yeah. probably going to open the door to pretty decent sponsorships. So I'd say the the very best, um, they make more from sponsorship than they do from prize money. Even though you know to be to be world champion last year, you know if you won the grand final and the and the series, that was a hundred grand in, in one. Mm-hmm. And then in, in order to win the series, you've got to basically you know win or podium at the others. So you're probably making. 140 or 50,000 from that mm. but then yeah beyond that you, you should make at least that in mm. in uh, but it but it varies country to country and that's the interesting thing again with with our group is is seeing how different countries uh, are are different sponsorship environments you know and i knew that in in canada as well with when you know seeing when simon won gold and kind of how that impacted his life you know versus other countries and so, so that's quite interesting obviously the brownlees have done quite well it helps to have a home yeah. olympics and 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 to be riding that wave but um you know it it ebbs and flows and and, and some some countries have great sponsorship and opportunities for amateur athletes kind of like, like triathlon and, and others mm. don't you know when you think oh you could be the best in your country but still struggling for for sponsorship and particularly in triathlon the 
the difference between the Ironman world and the and the ITU world. I mean, it, for some of the guys, it's difficult to get bike sponsors. You know, they just mm. they don't have that same drive that there is if you're doing seventy point three or Ironman. Yeah. But then they they're open to other stuff that that perhaps Ironman athletes might struggle to get. You know. Um, outside of the sport big financial sponsors or bmw or mm. these sorts of things that are you know kind of bigger than just one sport so yeah be outside of the top five it's pretty difficult to be honest i mean really? you know, we, we had we were having some discussions about this uh, on the weekend because uh, i think the itu is is struggling a little bit with the wts model of of how they do events they're big events they're expensive to put on and there was some discussion about you know the the prize money, whether that's going to be able to stay at the level that it is, and and the the little perks like you know hotel rooms and this sort of stuff. If you're generally if you're in the top five or ten, you get your hotel you paid to, for. Yeah. And um, some athletes, again, the federation pays for that, but you'd be surprised at some of the big federations that they don't have money for that stuff. So mm. these things all, all uh, make an impact on, on the bottom line. And um, yeah, if you're if you're outside of the top five, it is is difficult. Yeah, you, nobody's doing this to 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 make money. Um, they're doing it because they want to compete on the best stage and with the highest level of athletes. But that you know that that's that's the reality for them. On the on that front, you know, you know, like it's it seems to be a very interesting time for ITU racing right now. You know, John's been talking a lot recently around how changing distances and stuff like that, and just you know, where do you see the future of the ITU kind of world going? Hmm. We have a lot of sprint races this year, hmm. which is which has been happening the last couple of years. Um, obviously, the last two weekends we had Malulaba's tr- traditionally been a really tough race, early season Olympic distance. It, it's kind of got a hill in it, but you go over it sixteen times on the bike and and, and eight times on the run when it's an Olympic distance. But this year it was a sprint, and the same with New Plymouth where we just we were just were. Uh, and uh, London is going to be a sprint, uh, Hamburg and Stockholm as well. So half the series is now sprints. And I can appreciate why they do that, but I don't like that trend. I mean, yeah. we, we train for Olympic distance. We want it to be selective. We want it to be hard. And so to see the sport kind of going towards, you know, the easier to organize events that are shorter time, they're, you know, they're probably better for television, but at the same time, you know, <laughs> we get too far away from what our sport is, then, you know, is it changing? And, you, you know, you definitely see the margin for error in sprint races is really small. You know, mm. if you don't have a good transition, you're 10 seconds back, you're, you're going to struggle to make that back, um, which, which is part of the skill of racing. But on the other hand, you know, there's 10K is 10K and, and, mm. and, I, I'm not a fan of the trend going in that direction, and particularly for this is part of Olympic qualifying now, which is starting soon, yeah. and to have more and more sprint races as part of that. Um, however, that's where that's where it seems to be going. And, I mean, generally, the best athletes are still the best athletes, but I want it to be hard. That's what we train for. We want it to be selective, and and uh, want to see what happens on the back half of the 5K, and it makes it uh, second 5K, and it makes it interesting. So. You know, um, the IT tried to get the team race into um, Rio, but mm. was unsuccessful. If that happens, that might impact it as well, because we're unlikely to get more uh, athlete places. You know, they want to use the same number, 55 athletes, and then you've got to do both races. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it became a sprint and the team race sometime in the future as a result. I think that's what they're doing Commonwealth Games, isn't it? It's, they are doing... You've got to use the same athletes, have you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You've you got to, you know... You, and And... 
you know, you have to have teams of four, two men and two women for the team race. So, mm. you know, they have, then have to look at, well, how do we get enough teams on the start line? Because currently um, there's uh, eight or nine countries with three and then a bunch with two and then the rest with one. So mm. you've got to make sure you have enough to have a, a legitimate field to, uh, mm. of with two and two. Um, so that could impact, but the qualifying, but we, we didn't see that this time, but, but perhaps in the future, but yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to see it stay Olympic distance and, and, uh, you know, hopefully it doesn't, we don't have any more sprints than we already do. I predicted a while ago that Rio was going to be a sprint. We'll see if that happens. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. I don't know. Or if they're going to do sprints, they should at least do heats and finals. You know, because yeah. that was the other thing is we we see quite big fields. It was I think there's yeah. 79 starters in New Plymouth and yeah. and uh, in the men's and and uh, it makes for a tight race and and you know you you hate to see crashes and things like that happen as a result mm. of a nervous bunch, particularly on some narrow courses that they do. Do you, do you think that long term, if they do, if they keep both paths open, you will have two different types of fits? of athletes so like I know right now you know you, you probably think that the Brownleys would probably still win the sprints but specificity says that eventually if you do have two different races you would get a different slightly type of different athlete do you think that would happen it, to some degree I mean you know it's still an hour event you still got to be very very fit aerobically I mean just look at the results of the last two I mean you know it's they're pretty solid guys that are going to yeah. be ranked well but um yeah, it's it's possible. I mean, you know, it, it. I think it. When I think about that, I think of what are the dynamics of who's racing. You know, is it going to put more emphasis on the swim, uh, bike, in such that you can't, you don't have enough time to catch up on the bike. You know, for the for the guys that don't swim well. So that's a possibility that it could it could require faster swimming than we already have. Which mm. you know, for in, certainly in the Olympic racing, it, you know, it's fast, mm. and uh, you know, that's a possibility that you, you know, there's not enough time on the bike to, to mm. actually catch up. We didn't see that these past two weekends, but, you know, I would look at where that goes and, and ha would we have to modify the way we do things? I don't I don't think right now we would, but, you know, so much of how the sport goes is is dictated by, by who's in it and what they're doing. Much like year, years ago in the women, you had Barb, Sheila, Nikki Hackett and Loretta, and, and that was how the races go and swim with them or mm. you're going to struggle, you know, and. And uh, whereas, you know, now the women's race is like big bunches a lot of the time. And now on the men's side, we've got breakaways. And if you're not in that group mm -hmm. of eight or ten, you're going to struggle to run to the podium, you know. So it is Im impacted by who's doing it. And, you know, but, you know, we, we certainly look ahead. What are the demands going to be and what do we have to do? Uh, so for, for now, it's, it's Olympic and Rio and that's what we prepare for. So you, you talked there a bit about the, the guys' races and the, and the breakaways. Um, um, what's the feeling towards the Brownleys and, and how beatable they are at the moment? Because Brown, it was very much a Brownleys and Gomez show. I know you had yeah. your, your fellow Mola there come through a couple of times and mm. Silver as well was there or thereabouts, but nine times out of ten, the Brownleys were just absolutely crushing everybody. What's the, the feeling and how, how do you go about beating them? Yeah, I think that, that that's part of the challenge that the others have is um the feeling that they're not beatable um which mm. is not true I, mm. I definitely believe that they're beatable and 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 that's what that's what our mission has been with our guys in particular is instilling that belief um just the way that those guys race um no fear yeah they, they're not afraid to push the bike and and that's really powerful uh you know they 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 just smash it right from the beginning and put everybody under pressure and uh you know, it's a fantastic way of racing. It inspires everyone else. You know, it inspires us. Like, how do, how do we beat these athletes that are complete athletes? They're great on the swim, really strong on the bike, and basically the best runners as well. And, uh, 
you know, that, but you've got to believe that you can. And I certainly do now. And I'm, you know, looking forward to the opportunity to get the guys to, to run head to head. But as Mola and others have evolved, they've been more motivated than ever to, to use their strengths, which is to, you know, to, to get away and they can. And uh, so we, you know, we equally have to be ready to, to push the bike and, and really ride hard and, you know, knowing sometimes that's not going to work out, but it's worth it if it does. So, um, yeah, I think that, you know, when, when Alistair started winning like he did and then Johnny came and, and they added to, to, to what Gomez was already doing, yeah. you know, it was a very powerful front group. And now mm. you've got the French guys, you've got Henry Schumann from South Africa, you've got, you know, a nice, you know, Varga who was already there, you know, you've got a nice group and they're willing to work and commit. And that's something that sometimes lacks in, in the back group is, you know, the, the extra motivation you have when you know you can win. You know, and then that's what, you know, we've seen with, with Murray and, and, and Mola and Reader and Eustace at times as well. Like the guys that know they can win will work, but there's a lot of guys that are passengers. And that, mm. and, but there isn't as many passengers in the front, and, and that's where the dynamic is going. So, you know, I, you know part, part of what I've been doing is going around and talking to the other guys and saying, look, you know, you can get a podium out of this if you commit to the bike. Mm. And that's what we want to see. So we have a little organization amongst the others, I think. And and it's also changed post um, London. We got Ferdano that that's, that's away, and and he was a driving force on the bike. Mm. Uh, others, Timmy Don is away as well, and guys that were strong that would help that you know that chase that that were in it for a podium if if they could get there. So you know again the sport evolves, the dynamics change, but you know we've we've got to get our guys willing to push the bike, and and even if they're tired for the run then the, you know if, you, if you're otherwise you're running for fifth or sixth like we've had some of the guys do so mm. it, it's it in that that level i mean like you know again seeing gomez on the weekend i mean he's just so classy across mm. all three that you know you've got to be the complete athlete to win and mm. and i think it's the same on the women's side but you, you know that you need that mm. you, with your guys you know like you know it's interesting i mean people tend to just train their lives away you know how many hours do your athletes tend to train and how much in each discipline mm. um we don't do the most of of uh you know what the world does i think we we find the sweet spot it generally ends up being between 25 and 30 hours a week it's a lot of swimming we swim six days usually um you know kind of around 30 k's plus or minus depending on mm. the week the riding, it varies on the time of year. That's sometimes where we become really focused and specific, and we might only ride 8 or 10 hours, and then other times of the year it would be 12 or 15, but not usually much more than that. And then the running, again, depends on the background of the athlete, but you know anywhere from as little as 50 or 60K to 150K. So there's a mm. big range there depending on what they can do consistently. But yeah, probably the sweet spot might be around 100k or just a little mm -hmm. bit over that, you know, with quality sessions and, and and in there. So, you know, I think when athletes come to to our program, they they probably find what I see anyway is like, oh, it's not too hard, and then it just keeps going and going and going, <laughs> and, and that's you know that that's how we do it, just layer on layer after layer, and um, you know, eventually. Oh, right. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you mentioned the running volume there and how that varies quite a bit. I'm always intrigued with, with ITU racing, the speed that the athletes go out in the first K mm. um, versus what we see in the running world. If somebody's going for a 10K record or a marathon record, they build into it and they get faster and faster mm. and faster. Why is it that we don't see that in triathlon? Is it because um, 
people are just too scared to try it or, or is it something you've tried where you go, no, go out at a three-minute K and hold three minutes all the way mm. through rather than go out at a two, 240 and then run your yeah. last K at 320. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because often we see that there's an initial, an, an initial gap in the first K mm. or mile and then it often stays about the same and then gradually stretches out. So... For many of the athletes, the, a better strategy would be to pace it out a little more. Mm-hmm. But if you want to win, and you know you're not coming back to that group if you don't, if you don't go out fast, you're gonna, you know, struggle to come back. You can run back into a top ten, but mm-hmm. you know we see that time and again. You know, athletes that started too slow or didn't, you know, had a bad transition, were five seconds back, and they use up, you know, that that gas getting to the front, and then mm-hmm. they struggle after that. You know, it's not a sensible pace in, in that sense. But, you know, it's interesting. Just this morning, I saw somebody post something on Twitter about pacing in world cross countries, which is actually mm. similar. Yes. You know, get, you've got to get away from the group. You've got to establish yourself. And everybody sort of slows down. But then, you know, then you hold, you hold pace. Mm. And that, that's generally when we've done any sort of analysis of, of the races. You know, the first lap is the fastest, too fast. And then the best are the ones that slow down the least, mm. right? And, and, you know, and, and that are have the capability to do that. So we train for that. I mean, it, mm. it's huge to be able to access that, that speed. I mean, it's not necessarily faster than go out and run just a K of course, you know, they can, the guys can run a 245, 250 K anytime, but mm. to be able to do that off the bike and then keep going, you have to be really well conditioned to do that. And, and that's still, it, it, it's, you know, it's what the difference is between the best and, and the rest is that robust conditioning, fatigue resistance to maintain the pace to slow down less. Although three minute Ks is not fast enough anymore, right? No, no. <laughs> you know? but, um, but yeah, that, that's what they have to do. And, and so we train for that. And, and uh, it, it, it's one of the things that selects for the field is who, who can do that, who can go out at 245, slow down at 250 or mm. just over and then keep going versus the others that will will blow but if you want to put yourself in in the show for the win you've got to do it mm. um just on the girls side of things what do you th- see is happening there because um you've got quite a few americans starting to come through on the, on the girls side of things and mm. they seem to have either they must have a very good talent id program over there but both the poms and the americans seem to be the ones that are getting a bulk load of athletes to come through at mm. one time whereas other countries maybe have one or two here and there mm. what, what are they doing that seems to be working well it, it's different um you know america is, is so big such a huge population that they've they've had some of these talent transfer athletes like post-collegiate athletes mm. like gwen and and we saw katie hersey win on the weekend mm. as well i'd say it's knowing a bit about the program is still quite hit and miss though you know the mm. americans have to ask themselves how much they're investing in development after id because mm. that's you know that's the biggest thing you can you know there's, there's good athletes everywhere is what are you going to do with them right mm. and, and i think that's what they're starting to do a little bit more um yeah and and the british program i mean it's it's different again i mean that you know the success breeds success and you see that the environment, it's in Leeds, where the mm. Brownleys come from, that Nons move there, and, and you've seen it raise her level as well, Non-Stanford. Others have now gone there, and that's now the hub of, of performance mm. in, in the UK. And I think we, we saw something similar in Canada when, when Victoria was, was the place to be, and internationals would come there. And, and, and just it raises everyone's level. When you, when you see the world-class standard around you, mm. you know, it inspires everyone to, to do better. And um, uh, so that's really powerful. So that that's what's happening there, I think. Um, 
you know, riding the wave of resources and energy and interest of home Olympics helps. But now mm-hmm. they've got to keep that going. But they will be able to because because of the the success that they have and that environment, that culture that's right there uh, for them to see. So it's it's different, I think. You know, again, see, seeing what happens in so many different countries, I don't think there's one that really has it figured out. You know, we've got you know, 10 countries in, in our group, and I look at each of their programs. They're all different, you know, mm-hmm. and... Um, there's not one system, but when you do have talented athletes, you need to invest in their development and giving them opportunities. And that's probably one of the biggest things that is lacking sometimes is is getting them out into camps, getting them to the races, the right races at times, and uh, and investing in that preparation and development they're doing. So, so you know, the, Ameri- the Americans have a, have a good history of, of ITU success with, with Barb Lindquist and mm. Sheila Termina and others before them and, and after as, as well. But it is very, uh, it's very different. Each of those athletes took a totally different path, you mm. know, whether it be, uh, you know, like Gwen uh, was in the NC2A system and then somebody, you know, I think it was Barb, the post-collegiate recruitment program they have, oh, you could be good at triathlon, okay. Mm. And it's taken some time for her now to get into a program with Jamie Turner in Australia that is really going to drive her forward. Mm. Um, and that, you know, that's what they have to do. But there isn't a program like that in the U.S. So, you know, for instance, mm. and we've got uh, Sarah Groff in ours as well, you know, so it's very much those athletes going out and finding their path. Uh, but the more that they can invest in that themselves, the more control they'll have over it. Mm. On a personal level, how do you guys find just the, the Rolling Stone lifestyle? You know, because like, I know, you know, it's obviously a dream. Mm-hmm. And uh, to be able to live this life, I know, I'm sure you feel pretty privileged and that you respect that you've had this opportunity. But it's kind of, you know, yeah, moving every so often. Like, how do you, how do you manage that? And, and also just like with your relationships and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, uh, it's an interesting one. I mean, certainly, again, we have... Uh, a number of senior athletes that have partners and you know families and that sort of stuff and it we have to structure the season so they have breaks as well but it is part of what it takes to be successful and and you know you put yourself in those environments where you have few distractions eat sleep train and and that's you know that that's that accelerates the process doesn't mean you can't do it outside of that but it is easier within that environment so yeah, I mean, personally, I've been living it for a long time, so you, it, it grows on you as what you know, you know. So, you know, the last two years and, and, and this year will be probably eight months with the athletes, and then the rest of the time, the off-season, if you like, will stop after Edmonton and go home and recharge for a couple of months and then and start again in, in December and January. But, yeah, I, I guess you get into a, a, the rhythm of it and, and what it is and, and then, you know, then probably struggle when you're away from it because it's so different, you know. Yeah. What, do I do? <laughs> what do I do when I'm not going to sessions every day? Yeah. But uh, it is important to recharge, and I think for a lot of – uh, coaches like you know keeping fresh and keeping uh, your energy up is is you know if you want to have a, a lo- longevity in your career then you've got to take time to recharge well, well it's just really interesting isn't it because your life's about helping others make good decisions for themselves isn't it and and you know and you kind of sacrifice a lot of yourself in doing that and uh, I always think how do busy people make sure they still prioritize a bit of themselves you know and, mm. and I'm sure that's a, a, a fine line yeah, yeah, you've got to take care of yourself. And, and there was a, a coach in, in Canada named Wynne Gimitrowski who's a, a physio as well. And, and 
that was always his mantra. And prior to the Beijing Olympics, um, the Canadian Olympic Committee did sort of these coach seminars and, and, and education. And his message, I always took it to heart, is you've got to have energy to give. You know, so if you're if you're smashed or exhausted all the time, then you, you're not going to be able to do your job, mm. and you're not going to be able to give energy because that's a lot of what we do is is giving, yeah. giving all the yeah. time. You know, picking yeah. people up when they're down and and uh, encouraging them when they're struggling. And so you know, you do give a lot of yourself. So you got to find uh, your own ways to to recharge. It's, sometimes it's difficult, but you know, get out for a run on the beach or or whatever yeah. it is. Keep, you got to keep fit as well. I mean, I don't compete myself now. I've no. My competitive outlet is more than satisfied <laughs> with, with all of these guys, but that is important as well to keep to keep fit and and healthy to be able to give more of yourself. Mm. So, in terms of yourself, any plugs you want to give? You've got you've got uh, joelfilio.com. Any any other avenues? I mean, you're not necessarily doing age group coaching, but anything no. that you want to promote. I put up a, a website for the guys this year, jftracing.com. Yeah. Uh, so it's got profiles of everyone, but. But really, yeah, it's it's nice to have uh, people follow the sport. I like it when I meet somebody that that follows, particularly the Olympic side, because everybody mm. knows who the Ironman guys are. Yeah. But um, yeah, I met somebody at the pool the other day at, at Graham Condon Pool, a, a father of a, a young guy, and he knew where all the guys were mm. uh, in the pool, and was quite excited about that. So yeah, I like people to follow the elite side of the sport. It's interesting. There's a lot of great personalities, and, and it's dynamic racing. So follow the ITU. You know, mm. get out there and see what's happening. And and I think if you you know you appreciate as a fan the the way that the races go, and it's you know a lot of people have the idea that oh you know it's a wet run. Well, it's not. It's you know it, yeah. it's definitely most definitely not it's it's really interesting racing and if you can get behind it and see that then uh, you know it, it's a really cool sport to follow the bike is not easy no <laughs> we saw Laurent Laurent Vidal posted his power yeah, file well, yeah, from we saw that, yeah. yeah I mean that and that's typical you know they're, they're very hard races and variable races and particularly in, in New Plymouth the amount of energy they spend trying to be near the front yeah. you know we talk about a lot of it's almost like uh you know, lining up uh, your sprinters in in a, in a tour stage, like it's so hard to stay at the front when there's 50 guys that want to be in transition first, and you know that sort of stuff is really interesting to watch. Yeah. Um, watch people how they do it, because the good ones are always there. So yeah. you know, how do they do that? You know, and so that, that's what I like to see. We're back. We just about had a heart attack. The, yeah. the 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 file the program just died, and we thought we'd lost the whole show. And luckily we hadn't. So 406, and we almost had a first. I had to put the, the geeky bevan to get us through it, but we managed to get through it. So we were just talking about uh, the transition from ITU to Ironman for those guys, and we're just kind of you were giving your thoughts on that. Yeah. Uh, we have one of our athletes, um, Haley Fridrickson, that came over from after London, decided she would do uh, 70.3s primarily, but also the Lifetime Series in the US. So I remember doing an interview with, uh, I think it was, Inside Triathlon, the now defunct mm. Inside Triathlon, but about that, and, and the, the author was maybe trying to bait me into saying that the ITU athletes would come in and crush the Ironman guys, but it's, it's not the case. I mean, Ironman, is, is a, 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 it requires a specialty, and, and the, the, the best athletes are, are really good at that, and, and it's not a sim- matter of the faster guys coming over and, and smashing them. I mean, some of them have the ability to, to be really competitive, but, you know, it's also whether they give themselves time to commit to it. And that's what a lot of them don't do. They, they wait too long, you know, and so we don't see their best. And, and that's where, yeah. you know, even, um, even Bevan Doherty, you know, he's, you know is, are we seeing the best performances that are, are possible for him at an Ironman? Well, mm. I mean, there's no way to know. But I, my feeling is, you know, if he had done that transition years ago, we might, he might be going faster. But, mm. um, 
but yeah, I mean, it's you have to respect the sport and respect the those disciplines. And uh, as I said, certainly there's some that that could be excellent. I mean, I'd love to see what Havi could do. You know, for that. I mean, yeah. he's a robust, strong guy. He's great on the bike. You know, I mean, what what could he run uh, the marathon in Kona? And I don't know. Mm. But I'd love to see that. But I don't. I don't know if we will because the the draw of the Olympics is still so big, and and it's also where your sponsor base is. You know, mm. and and if if they want to see him racing uh, Olympics, that's what he'll do. And and I know um, you know athletes like. Like Timmy Don transferring as well, you know, like you even have to sometimes get new sponsors and, and, and new backers to, to go on that new kind of project. So, mm. you know, uh, every, every triathlete, I think, uh, to a large degree, you know, dreams about Kona. And, you know, and a lot of the guys, Laurent Vidal was saying the other day, oh, you know, he grew up watching Kona. And even though he's, he's, his passion is about the Olympics now, they'd like to give it a try. But whether they do as a, a full-on committed project or not is, you know, it's, it's very individual. So I'd love to see it. But I wonder, but I wonder if the kids of today still have the kind of thing you know like it's very much our generation but I wonder you know because the kids of today have seen the Olympics mm. you know they, they would have watched London and seen the Brownleys mm. I wonder if Kona will still be the appealing thing another five or ten years from now yeah it is probably shifting yeah, yeah. I mean some of them you know do they know who Mark Allen or Dave yeah. Scott are yeah. maybe not you yeah. know but, 1989 um, have you heard of that race yeah yeah <laughs> Pro- probably not some of them are not born in 1989 <laughs> you know but um Oh, I mean, it, it's it's a draw for for so many because it, it's such an individual contest, you know, and, it, and it's the the pinnacle of the ultra distance racing. And you know, I hope to see more of them, more of them give it ha, give it a crack and, and see what happens. You know, uh, you know, love to see what they can do for the marathon in particular. I think the marathon's been kind of stagnant in in some of these races for a long time, and it's you know, it's, it's much like you know, you're not going to run a world class marathon time on the roads if if you're not a sub twenty eight, maybe even sub. 27 guy you know it's just that's what's happened in in the sport faster is faster so you know i'd love to see what somebody in 29 minute shape could do um you know if they did the right training and committed to it and got themselves on the start line what would be possible you know would we see those records fall i reckon we would but you know it's got to be the incentive to do it and 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 the olympics is such a huge draw for for these kids that you know that they put their whole careers into it and you know when they finally reach the point where they're looking for something new you know they're passion to to do the hard yards maybe isn't the same you know and, and so we don't see the best from them but you know we'll, we have to make choices of what we commit to and and i think again respecting the sport you know you have to commit to it you can't just rock up to ironman and expect to be successful and no matter who you are so you know it requires that work to be done and it you'll be shown up if you don't do it and and uh, you know so you know but i'm interested to see what Haley can do over the the half uh, distance but you know again somebody like that is she going to go up to ironman i don't know she might not you know, she might struggle over the longer distances, maybe, maybe not, but she's got to go about that journey to find out, you know, and, mm. and where, you know, um, and it's the same for a lot of the ITU guys, you know, what are they, what are they going to do with it? Well, you got to make some choices. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time. And thank you for bringing your crew to Christchurch. Yeah, thanks, um, Paul, for getting in contact. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And uh, wish you guys all the best for Auckland. Great. Thanks, guys. Nice. What do you think, John? <laughs> Every time they go get out. Yeah. Website of the week. We we, have, we haven't done the interview yet. We've done it. You guys have heard it, but we haven't actually done it. We, yes. We're inserting it later. He should be here in about nine minutes. Yes. So let's finish. Did you tell him to park down? I did not give him parking instructions because you wanted the good park, didn't you? I've got the good park. Yeah. Oh, you got the guests coming. You take the good park. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. See, he never, he never yeah. gives. Uh, 
basically new subject matter. John and Bevan love the show, guys. I know this isn't actually triathlon related, but it's still a huge feat of human endurance that I would like to share. And if you're looking for content on a slow week, it's not really a slow week, but we're looking for content always. Back in 2011, a guy from Brisbane named David Alley wrote, 14,251 kilometres around Australia in a new world record of 37 days, 20 hours and 45 minutes, which broke the old world record by nearly four days. This meant that he covered the average of 377 kilometres a day to complete the ride. An amazing effort, I'm sure you agree. Amazingly, his record has since been beaten by another guy from Brisbane named Reed Anderton uh, in the... 2013 by 19 hours there must be something in the water here in Brizzy but what I want your draw to teach to is the new challenge that David set for himself in May this year he will set out we'll take a retraction here because he's actually sent us a follow up email it's actually not, not happening in May but I just thought this was such an amazing challenge that we still should give it some, some love so is he still going to try it at some he's stage he's doing it but he's not doing it this May I don't think ok but it's going to happen at some stage mm. ok so in May this year I've got to find where it was uh, in May this year he'll be setting off in his attempt to break the world record for running around Australia to beat the previous record by by previous legend Pat Farmer in 191 days 191 days of running <laughs> he is aiming to run an average of two marathon each and every day for six months I'm sure you would agree that this is a massive challenge yeah that's a massive challenge he is doing this to raise money and awareness for the White Cloud Foundation which helps support people who suffer from depression you can follow him on Facebook at David Alley Race Around Australia or his website race around Oz or AUS.com.au now I have offered up some of that juicy content I feel uh, the draw for, for basically he wants to win the trip to Kona yes mm. so, so that is crazy uh, this is incredible so when he did the That's bike incredible he did the bike around Australia 37 days averaging 377 k's a day so wait a second so what kind of speed are you probably sitting on around about well I've done 300 k's twice in my life How that's that a long you? time uh so I, I think I averaged 27 k's an hour. It was fairly hilly and windy and stuff, but let's just say he's averaging 25 k's an hour. That's 12, 13, 14, 15 hours a day of ride time, ballpark. Let's say he might be quite fast, maybe it's 14 hours. It's only 10 hours spare in the day. You've got a bit of stopping time in there as well. Take that off, eight hours sleep. Continuously, John, for 37 days. You're biking all day long, every day long, Get a night's a day, uh, you know, a night's sleep, but probably seven, seven to eight hours if you're lucky. This guy's a nut bar, John. It's yeah. official. Because the thing is, okay, riding around Australia in three through thirty-seven days is ridiculous. Running two marathons a day for hundred and ninety-one days is Insane. makes ridiculous look easy. Oh yeah, that, I mean that puts ultra marathons and all that just to. Oh, I the peasants, John. The peasants. Yeah, well, I was very impressed. With Ultra marathoners pee on yourself. You yeah. pee on yourself. Yeah, because that is ridiculous. Now he hasn't done it, so but he's done the bike ride. Which yeah, is but, pretty he, impressive. but he's working and looking at doing the run. But that is crazy. So I can't remember when they said he's going to do it, but check it out. How does your body handle that? Uh, you'd get into a routine. You'd, you'd get used to it, providing you can handle the blistering. And if you didn't, if you started blistering and stuff, you'd be in all sorts of bother. I think after a while, you just kind of get used to it and be ground. Do you know Pat Farmer? No, okay. no. But I remember seeing an old guy who the guy with the gum boots. No, just just some old guy and his wife. And they ran a marathon day for yeah ages yeah. on end. A marathon a day different. Is, Two marathons a day. Yeah, that's, that's a big difference. Marathon day is not an easy challenge, but you took five six hours. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
But if you're doing sub- yeah, a marathon a day, that's let's say you did it six days a week. That's only hundred, you know, six two two hundred forty k a week. Okay, but if you're running nice. two marathons a day, let's say he's got probably average about five hours a marathon. Yeah, he's probably going to run ten hours a day. Mm. Four hundred ninety-one days. It's mm. a lot of work. That's incredible. It is. Okay, Jumbo. Well, Paul, that was a good email and good boy, Dave. Let's know how you're going. <laughs> Sponsor. Extreme. You're going to put an ad from the website, John? Hold on. Just give us a second. Oh, turn your mic around. Yeah, I'm about to do it. I'm about to do it. He's turning his mic around. Just so you know. It's coming. Hi, my name is Sandy Kellen. I'm the founder and formulator of... Uh, He's going to make great exit, And we're going to talk about Extreme Endurance. Extreme Endurance is the only product that I'm aware of where there's actually been a third party double-blind, placebo-controlled clinical crossover study that was published, and it proved a number of things. First of all, it proved that it lowers lactic acid by 15%, improves aerobic threshold by double digits, removes muscle soreness or lessens muscle soreness, increases VO2 max, and guess what? It lowers CK levels. That's the measurement of muscle trauma. So don't sorry? take my word for it. Why don't you just go do Karen? And here's what you do. This product is now available in your box. So you can go in there, buy a pouch, rest the day before you do Karen. So take a rest day, then do Karen. And, uh, it's Karen Award. Just that, wait. Let's take three tablets in the morning, three at night, go through the week, take another rest day, and do Karen again. And you will see how this works. First of all, it's proven by science. I want you to prove it to yourself. That means it's verifiable and repeatable, and you will see how great this product is. Because once you use it, you're never going to train again without it. Can I talk now? You're allowed to talk. You're not interrupting Sandy. Sandy, will be upset. I'll send him an email. What's Karen? Karen is basically a. It's um, a ward, isn't it, John? No, it's it's. What the, what's the sport they do? CrossFit. Uh, it's a CrossFit. ward. We work out of the day. Yeah. So, obviously, you guys are triathletes. You're not necessarily going to go do a wad. But we remember from Hal Tao's day, he did this, what Sandy was suggesting there, a little little test where he did uh, a series of 5Ks and didn't take the extreme endurance and took it and noticed a pretty significant uh, change. So the good thing with this product, you can just get it. Uh, Look at that rainbow. Incredible. Oh, I'm taking a photo of that for the show. Yeah. Uh, Joel Filio needs to be on the sh- uh, photo of the show. Oh, no, we'll get that rainbow in the back. That's a perfect rainbow. Anyway, just go get yourself a pack of Extreme Endurance, do a little test, do a couple of 5K um, hard efforts in sort of a couple of weeks in, in a row. Make sure you're similarly rested before each one and you should notice a difference. I should have taken some for this weekend. What are you talking about? My pain. What? It makes it sore. Oh, yeah, you should have done. <laughs> you should have seen the yeah. white yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. The, look, you idiot. Shut up. No, <laughs> you, you, so, do you know what I find fascinating about that video, John? What? I'd never seen what Sandy looked like. Hadn't you? No. No, well. Look at that rainbow. Maybe you're taking a photo. <laughs> I'm going to go look at it for a second. John, you talk for a second. Oh, for goodness sake. What's oh, it's going on? My, my partner. Oh. Just, oh, it's just, a just, rainbow. just vomited. Sorry if there's interruptions in the show. Bevan's just, yeah. Doing what he feels like doing. He seems to be walking perfectly fine now. It's all a bloody hair. The rainbow brought me back to life, that's why. I got rainbow energy. Someday you'll find us, the rainbow connection. Okay, Jumbo. Righty ho. Do you want to start? Uh, I'll I'll do this one here because I need to wrap this up. Last week we had questions and answers and letters of complaint. 
from Murray because I didn't read his email out properly. You didn't. You made an absolute pig's ear. It's because you were listening to me and you were, you were, it was your fault. Oh, sure it was. It was. You were being rude and obnoxious. So, Bevan tried to be Mr. Smarty Pants. And Murray, it's your fault for trying to assist Bevan being Mr. Smarty Pants last week. Cause he That's sent, a good rainbow, eh, babe? He, he sent an email saying, so you can look smarter than John... Refer to point no, system below. I read it. I read it. I listened out. to it. I could not understand what the hell you said. Okay, I'll read it again. No. <laughs> so the questions, the the comments we made, Harry wrote it. the comments Murray had made uh, were around us sort of stating why Paul O'Doherty was in front of me in the, in the rankings. So at the moment, I am second in Ironman, as only Taupo counts, and Pod finished within the same five seconds, so one point band deficit behind the winner. Note, even though the ranking refers to two races, only one full Ironman has been taken into account determining Ironman, obviously. I am second outright to Paul. See, John, this doesn't make any sense to me either. Okay. It's Murray's fault. Murray's fault. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Basically, Paul and I are tied on the Ironman rankings. The reason we've got the same number of points is it was a really close finish. We well, said that last week. Yeah, you didn't explain it. Well, that didn't have to explained by you either. Wow. Murray, it's your fault. Reason. There we go. We, we, we've diverted it. So basically, age group winners, what are you going to list this next bit of paper? Oh, okay. Which moving on. Yeah. You didn't read this part out. The point system for an Ironman. I did read this part you out. did not read this bottom part out. I listened to it yesterday to uh-huh. make sure I wasn't going to give you crap. Un- un- Unnecessarily. Because you've never done that before. Yeah. Bloody for for Ironman. I'm just going to look at the rainbow. Okay. Can I read it now? Yes. For an Ironman <laughs> full distance triathlon, the points available are 5,000 points. For an Ironman 70.3, the points available are 3,500 points. This is for points. age groupers? This is for age groupers and this is for your overall ranking. Points are calculated based on the athlete's race finish time behind the first finisher in his age group. Points continue to drop as the race time increases until the points reach a points floor, at which no longer the points don't drop any further. There is a value to the minutes and seconds in each race distance. For an Ironman, the points diminish at a rate of approximately 12 points per minute. I don't know why it's approximate, but at approximately 12 points per minute. In an Ironman 70.3, they diminish by approximately 18 points per minute. For example, if you win your age group at Ironman, you're awarded 5,000 points. If you finish in second place a minute behind the leader, your points are 4,988. That's quite cool. It is. Yeah. So it's graded... Yeah. Based on time rather than just you finish second, but you're an hour behind, you're actually going to get penalised for being an hour behind. So that's now, it still cool. doesn't account for stronger fields. Like if we look at Melbourne. Yes, you're right. You know, where you're going to get guys who are way faster. Mm. Like doesn't, there is still some glitches in the system, but it is cool that they are kind of recognising that, hey, John, you know, you only lost by two minutes or or in one race one guy kills it and so the guys yeah. who got second don't just get second place points, they get points that are relevant. Yeah, so it's good. We've got, nice someone, we've, got, we've got someone here. We've got someone here. Someone here? Oh, okay. Hey, well, wait. Hey, oh, I'll, just, I'll push pause. Today's been a bit stressful, isn't it, John? <sighs> for you and oh, for both of us. For both of us. We've, for the, we've done the show how many years? Probably seven or eight years now. 406 shows. And we had for the guys over for the interview. And my program just died. And it just died. And sometimes the program will stop. But it's never died before. And it died. And I opened up and we'd lost everything. Like there was nothing there. And we're like, oh my God, what are we going to do? And uh, so I said, John, just talk to them for a little bit. <laughs> and then I'm behind the scenes, I'm thinking, how am I going to get out of this? And luckily, there's a background saving of the files, which if you push save, if, I, if I'd push save, it would have actually deleted that. So luckily, I remembered a way to get around it. So so we're, it seems a bit disjointed right now. We're around the show 
so be it. So anyway, just back to questions and answers. Um, we had- my, my bad last week, Bevan. I hate it when people say that, but my bad. Your bad. So last week. No, well, how do you say that? Do you want me to do the apple trick? Do the apple trick. Okay. So the name is spelled E. I mean L E A H N, and Apple will take a while because this computer's slow. But um, you said what? Lan. Lan. I thought it was Leanne. Yeah. Yeah. Leon. I think it's Leon. Yeah. Leon. Yeah. Well, we got an email from from Nick. Oh, from, not from sorry, from Leon. Yeah. Leon Perry. And he's got a nickname, Gents. Love your show. And finally, my nickname was awarded after buying the Kona Guide. However, Madden Hormit, uh, I might have a girl's name, but at least you could have checked my Athlinks file. I'm a bloke. In my defence, I did actually check uh, Athlinks, but on, the, on the, the, the little profile thing that came through for us had... Oh, now my computer's breaking. Uh, so it's not a good day for computers, team. <laughs> Here we go. Yep, yep, yeah. So when I when I checked on athletes, this is only a slight defence. It had uh, Leon Fedam Perry, so I copied and pasted that into athletes. Didn't come up. If uh, done Leon Perry, then it would have come up. Oh, uh, it's the middle name that stuffed you, wasn't it? It was. So I gave him a <laughs> what was the nickname? Madam Hornet. Which yeah, yeah, it's probably, pretty pretty good chick's name. Probably not super appropriate for um for a male, but. My, my bad. So, what do you, what, have you changed? Have you come I up have. with a new one? Do you want to, well, at least go into nickname. So, nickname, okay. So, if you want to come to Kona, we've talked about 100 books to sell. We're still over a little bit 100 books to sell. So, if you want to come to Kona, um, buy a book and you go and name in the draw to win the ultimate trip to Kona, but you also can win, um, you get a nickname on the show. And, John, do you want to start? Because I've got to give, give Leon, 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 Leon uh, his nickname, Vader. Oh, nice. Because he's on, he's, he's got a pretty cool so Did you check out his athletes picture, did you? Well, I did. Yeah, great. 1101, best personal best for Ironman. Uh, you got to knock a minute off, minute 43 off that, and you'll be you'll be sweet. But he's on the bike, and he's got the arm warmers on. It's all black, and he's got a black top on, and he's got an aero helmet with black sort of glasses. Nice. On. Looks a bit like My apologies about that from last week. Okay. You, do you want to go through your ones? Yes. Okay. Uh, Mark. Daydream Believer Brooks. Nice. He's got a very pensive photo on his athletes, just sort of looking up into the sky. You know, you're going to shoot sport? I forgot to do you, John, a computer's breaking down again. <laughs> we're having a bad day. But we're back. Okay, so Lee, you are Vader. Okay, we're going to go through the other nicknames. John, start with yours. Mm, didn't we just do Mark Brooks? No, because it wasn't you do Vader, wasn't Vader the... Anyway, we're doing it again. Mark Brooks, Daydream Believer. Daydream. If, if you just heard that for the second time. We're not, you're probably hearing this all for the second time as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. What, no, next one. Corrine Hussey Excalibur. Because Mike Hussey was Mr. Cricket for Australia. We had a famous cricketer in New Zealand who used an Excalibur for a bat, so that's why you're Excalibur. Nemo Dory Brauch. Kelly Hydro Girl Conkle, because she generates some hydropower and just smokes you guys. Matt the mallet Malloy because nice. he just smashes everybody goes to Kona and kills everybody Mantis boy Joe Voss good Jamie Jetpack Swanson yes coasting Colette Andrews yes Michelle the Machine Andreas who was on Epic Camp Kona last year just crushed everybody all the guys included Sean Oh, that's the that's Sean difference. Mills, um, Exertainment, and that's because exercise entertainment, that's what he is. Oh, People look nice. at him and they go, he's a legend. Liz Roberts, she is Mrs. Everything. 
You know it, Liz. You're everything to us. Uh, David Southall. Uh, Southall? Southall? Southall. Southall. Um, see, I wasn't sure about the H there. Yep, no, Southall. Yeah. He was on uh, Kona Camp a couple of years ago as well. Meet your low point. Because yeah. when you train with Dave, you mean your low point. Yeah. Craig Johnson, I thought of um, the um, Robert Johnson, the blues guitar player. So I thought blues basher, Craig Johnson. Erin Lee, she is silk. Silk Aaron's or slick? Silk. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Paul Hellings. Paul Hellings. That's what I said. He didn't. You said Paul. Well, I think I said Paul. Okay. Oh, I meant Paul. Paul, uh, Paul Hellings, uh, Red Horns, because of the hell aspect. He's got the Red Horns coming after you. The Geek, Thorson Rad. We've got Jennifer Lorenz, and she is feeling hot, hot, hot. Nice. Patrick Healy, The Hurt, where he's, he's donated to show many times over the years. Uh, Matthew Reagan, The President. Julia, Julia Carroll, she's the money. Colin, uh, The Convict, uh, Belansky. And then Mick Anderson, Al Scorpion. Nice. If you want to donate or you want to buy an ebook and get yourself to Kona, we've got a few a few copies left. We are going to be cutting that off at some stage. You can buy as many as you like. Yeah, we've actually got about 110, so go buy them now so we can get it over and done with. <laughs> okay, John sponsors coffeesofwai.com. Uh, Coffees of Hawaii is just get your sack. Athlingstock. It was much funnier last time. It was. Yeah, bugger. Uh, social networking for endurance athletes and extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. Okay, Jonbo, what you got? I'm changing my coaching career, Bevan. <laughs> what, you, wait, wait, wait a second. I think you probably make a pretty good soccer coach. That's right. Oh, how did I know that? Seventh grade uh, Cashmere Wanderers. I played for Cashmere Wanderers. Yeah. We had a pretty good team. We yeah. won. We won. Nice. We won first grade. Yeah. Nice. Thomas is pretty happy about it. He's got his buddies uh, he's playing with, a lot of guys from his class, so he's pretty pumped about it. And uh, I asked you a question before when we recorded this last time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Thomas gets probably in one week. Next week plays like a legend, like like absolutely given play. Messi, you would, you would. Uh. <laughs> I said the complete opposite last time. No way. No at way. that age, share it around. Somebody's got to still do something noteworthy. But what have you got that kid who's just a peasant? They've got to get one week. They will do something right. What like kick the ball? Mm. It's effort rather than aptitude at that age. You want to see good yeah, effort. Yeah, effort. Praise mm. effort. So I'm going to be extreme. Yeah. I can't really say like Ferguson look out because he's retired so maybe Arsene Wenger look out well I think is it Moores Moores the guy who's the David Moyes. yeah he might, he might not be I, yeah I think off. your opportunity's coming <laughs> just yeah, just, they'll know. probably go oh they they'll probably hear the show because the whole world listens to the show and they'll probably go oh, Newson's gone from triathlon mate Pro- you're, you're in the money project 2016 yeah Manchester United yeah I'd actually rather coach Everton uh, right Bevan what about you I've actually got a couple of I know you want to wrap up, but I've, I've got, got a couple of couple. Somebody complained about me needing to get out of here, but uh, about me complaining uh, that. But we're today, happy to been today. here for two and a half hours, and uh, it's, it's been, been a long an one. issue for the morning. John, two things. We did a fitness challenge with part of my group weekend. Right. And we had to do like 100 laps of the, you know, up and back and forth 50 burpees, 50 clean presses, 50 bicep curls, 50 something else, 50 something else. And it finished with 100 laps. And it was your. 100 laps of. Oh, kind of like a 15 meter back right. and forth. Uh, and uh, we were winning. And what happened was it was teams of three. And the, the team was the three. What's happening was. Um, only one person could be doing the exercise. So while I'm running, you guys are counting, and then when I'm buggered, I tag you in, you start running. Yep. And once you, everyone's completed the 100 laps, you, you move go on. as long as you want until you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Oh, and you chop out. John, we we were, I was the fastest running by a country mile, which makes sense because well, most other people weren't runners. But um, so at the end of, basically, we've gone through the whole series of exercises. We've done the press ups, the burpees, the runs, and so on. And the last thing was the runs again. 
we started the runs six laps ahead of the team who was behind us. Yeah. And there was no way they were faster than us, John. Yeah. But they beat us. Controversy in the world, Les Mills. And I don't think they thought they cheated. I don't think it was a deliberate cheat. I think it was poor counting. Right. But John, would you say something? Yeah. I didn't. Oh. I tried to be the better person. That's very big of you. I just, I just, surely it'd be obvious. Well, that was the thing. It was so obvious. And they were cheering and stuff. And I was like, surely you guys realise that you went faster than us. <laughs> but. So there's no way you guys. Uh, I just I just followed it. I'm no, no way you did the wrong amount of laps? No, no, we definitely didn't. No, because we, we didn't get anything wrong. <laughs> right. And then my other piece of gossip, what are you looking at? Well, I'm it? just making sure I don't miss anybody off the. Uh, the names here, so I'm uh, just shifting something. Yep, carry on. I had my band practice last night for the first time. Oh, uh, yeah. John, do you know what was really interesting? Yeah. It's good to do something where you feel insecure. Yeah. Because, are you finished here? Because I don't feel no. you're paying attention to me. <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I'm revealing my insecurities. Yeah, your insecurities. <sighs> so, are you looking Damn at me? Damn this bloody pages. Are you done? I'm, I'm still used to Excel. I can't get used to pages. Sorry, carry on. I've stop, got to go. Stop it. You. Yeah, give me a teacher and then you yeah. can do this later. So I'll go, feeling insecure, because mm-hmm. the guys I'm playing with, the drummers played for 30 years. Good. They're pretty good. The, the guitarist has studied guitar. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. I survived. Nice. Yeah, and, and you know how I know I survived? Because I thought it, it's gonna, it was almost like a date. You yeah. know when you go on a date and you go on a date with someone who you don't like, how do you treat them at the end of the night? Uh, just yeah, coldly. Not coldly. <laughs> coldly. <laughs> Politely, but don't open the door. <laughs> you don't go. Oh, you bugger off. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Not interested. Get out of here. <laughs> Stop talking to them. Are you talking to me? No. Shh, shh, shh. Don't talk. No, not coldly. You're polite to them, but you close the door yeah. on the opportunity. Mm. If you're single, take my advice on this one. Okay, not John's. <laughs> don't do the cold strategy. Cold strategy. <laughs> so. So I was thinking, okay, well, I got through the night. I, I, I definitely at times felt a little bit out of my depth, but I was kind of, I, you know, like kind of drowning, but keeping just my lips above the water. Yeah. End of the night, they go, that went really well. We should catch up next week. Gold. You're I'm in the relationship, John. Yeah. I'm going to be the manager of Manchester United in 2016. Bevan's going to be producing a... Rock star. You'll be getting a, what, a Grammy? Grammy. Yeah. <laughs> Grammy. Grammy I'll, I'll, if I get a Grammy in 2016, which is highly likely because the Lord did. Yeah. So if the Lord can, well, I can. Um, if, if I get a Grammy, I'm going to thank you. You'll be the first person I thank. I'll say thanks. thank you for the great dating advice. Treat him cold. Treat him mean. Cold. Keep him keen. <laughs> God, I... <laughs> okay, uh, then I think we need to wrap this Hopefully shot. today's show worked out okay. I've, got, I've seriously got like five hours of processing nice, in front of me. Nice. Loving and, it. Uh, we will probably have our Legends show out. I've got to, we were going to do it today now, but I've got to get... Uh, home and we might do it later on so hopefully it'll be out this week we'll see how we go maybe we could do a Skype oh, we'll sort it out we'll do a Skype tomorrow morning yeah we'll, yeah, we'll sort we'll it out do a Skype tomorrow morning and we'll just do the intro and stuff because I I'll come for a bike ride I'll come up here he loves this place seriously mm-hmm. honestly he doesn't actually go yeah <laughs> just hangs around. I'm Russ I'm in a train hard train smart kick, kick a- 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 a-